does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So let me tell you the tale of not two cities, but two people. Last night, I'm going to guess somewhere around 8.30, 9 o'clock. I don't know this because we watched in different locations. But last night, I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm watching the Super Bowl, and I'm watching the Chiefs and the 49ers. And I'm thinking to myself, I still can't believe I heard what was said after the Purdue-Indiana game. And I can't wait to go over that tomorrow on the program. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I can't believe that All-Star Week is upon us. And it is still surreal as a kid of college basketball of the 80s and and the 90s and the NBA and everything else um, to know that the guy that was the MVP of the only All-Star game to be played in Indianapolis from an NBA standpoint to this point uh, Ralph Sampson, who I had tracked down, I don't know Ralph Sampson, and lined him up for the show this week because I thought it'd be fun to reminisce about the days of playing in the Hoosier Dome. And, you know, I'm looking at my phone on the call log and it's still weird to see like Ralph Sampson called. Just kind of a cool thing and I look forward to talking to him this week. And while I was sitting there texting back and forth to line up different people for All-Star Week and getting set for the All-Star Game with the Pacers having two games left and talking about Indiana and Purdue and getting Rob Blackman to join the program today and seeing Dwight Freeney on a commercial during the Super Bowl for the Indiana Donor Network, which was very cool. And I thought, how fortuitous of Nicole and the great folks at Driven to Save Lives and the Indiana Donor Network to have Dwight Freeney on a Super Bowl commercial in the week that he was announced as a Hall of Famer. And during all of it, One thing never entered my mind. It never entered my mind that San Francisco was about to win the Super Bowl. Because even though, you know, they went down and that first possession fumble was huge. And Kansas City, though, couldn't take advantage. And it felt like at halftime, as Usher was rolling around on roller skates, During that time, it felt like if you would have surveyed people, they would have told you that the San Francisco 49ers were up 27 to 3. But that wasn't the case. And for all of the domination that San Francisco had in the trenches throughout, they never were able to get themselves a comfort level of not having Mahomes within striking distance. And when there was the muffed punt, We'll pretend it wasn't a Clemson guy that did it. And the Chiefs took over and immediately. If you've seen the movie Old School. Eddie, you've seen Old School? No. You're my boy, Blue. Thank you. You've never seen Old School, Eddie? No. Okay. You're not familiar with Frank the Tank? No. So if I said, can you pull the audio from Frank the Tank? It's when it touches your lips. That would mean nothing to you? Correct. Jimmy, you guys want to swap seats real quick? 
and go back there and pull up the audio of Frank the Tank and, and right when it touches your I, lips. I, I trust Eddie to do a Google search. He can do it. I believe in him. I'm not certain, actually, that it's radio friendly. There might be some foul language in yeah. it. I'm not even sure. But my point being this, in old school, when Frank the Tank, the Will Ferrell character, is at the party and he says, you know, the whole time you're like, okay, I know that Frank the Tank has it in him to go crazy and end up streaking, but he is kind of being held in check by his wife and by the other guys at the party and the fact that he's older than everybody. And then he does the first beer bong. And then he says, it's when it touches your lips. Let's do another. Come on, let's go. Let's do another. Last night, the San Francisco 49ers fumbled the punt and the Chiefs took over. And in the amount of time that it took me to tweet, it feels like the game just was won right there. In that amount of time, Kansas City scored. And all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes had done his beer bong. And things then, it, it, it hit his lips. And San Francisco knew it. And Jim Nance knew it. And everybody in Las Vegas knew it. Taylor Swift knew it. Everybody knew at that time that the game was over because San Francisco completely changed the way they were playing and Kyle Shanahan started thinking too deep into things and was making decisions based on the assumption that Patrick Mahomes was lightning in a bottle guy and the Chiefs were able to make more conservative plays down the stretch because they knew if we get into overtime, it's over. We're cool. If we got to take a field goal here and just force the overtime, we're fine with it because we've got literally a magician behind center that is able to literally completely play chess at the time when San Francisco's defense suddenly suddenly started playing checkers. So with all of that, on a day when we're going to talk a lot about Indiana-Purdue, we're going to talk a lot about the Pacers, we're going to talk a lot about All-Star Weekend, and we're going to talk about how the Super Bowl lays a blueprint for the Indianapolis Colts. But before we do that, I would be remiss if I did not say, Jimmy Cook, before we get to allowing you to wear your nine do-rags or whatever the hell you were wearing last night on social media and wearing your Patrick Mahomes jersey that is probably like, I don't know, 300 bucks and your chief shoes and whatever else. Before all of that, for those that are unfamiliar, even though I think that it would be rare, but for those that don't know, because I do think, Jimmy, that there are a lot of people that would listen to the show and say, Listen, I'm in Indianapolis and this guy's a Chiefs fan. He's a he's a that's like being a Duke basketball fan, whatever it might be. I think that you get a pass because your Chiefs fandom is familiarly, if that's a word, authentic. Please for everybody before we let you gloat, take us through how you became the 12-year-old fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Shout out to my brother Bob. My family tree is weird, but to keep it short and sweet, uh Technically, my half-brother. My brother Bob, when he was a kid, my dad brought him back a program from the college all-star game that was then played against the Super Bowl champions. At the time, the Super Bowl champions that year were the Kansas City Chiefs. Around that time as well, as you all know, if you're doing the math in your head, the Colts were not here. My brother ate up that Super Bowl program, would follow the Chiefs however he could, whether it was on radio or just if he could get a TV station to get the game here and there. He followed it throughout his entire adult life. He would have chief parties at his house, had Sunday ticket when it came out in 93, 92, whenever it was, and we're born into it in that regard. Like, we were finally old enough because it's 
be honest, it is, it's a lot of masculinity. There's a lot of language that's said, like you would imagine if you've ever seen the movie uh, Silver Linings Playbook with Bradley Cooper yes. and Jennifer Lawrence and that family of Eagles fans are yep. just rabid. And like, that's, that's basically my Chiefs family. Um, was there from fourth grade onward and a lot of pain and suffering through that. But the point is, Jake's right. This is not a front running agenda for me. I've given this rant a couple times. Brody Croyle, Matt Castle, Damon Heward, Tyler Thigpen, drafting Eric Fisher first overall in the 2012 NFL draft. Like it's, it's been a long time coming for me with this fanhood. I have other fanhoods that like, look, I don't want to spoil the chief's mood here, but people know this publicly. I am a Yankees fan because of my father. It's not the same way as this. It, it never is. No fandom that I have in my life is the same way it is for the Chiefs because my brother, not to get too personal, was such a major, both my brothers, my brother Bob and Rich, were such a major part of my upbringing because my mom had passed when I was in middle school and my dad was older and you cling to that. There's always something you cling to and sports brings people together like that. That's what the Chiefs are for me. And I give all the credit in the world to both my brothers, Rich and my brother Bob, but Bob's the one that started the Chiefs fandom and wouldn't be here today potentially gloating, but that's not the kind of person I am. I'm happy, but wouldn't be here today without him. So at what point in the game last night did you exhale and say to yourself, I, I, I mean, I, I get it, probably, you know, it's funny, myself being a Clemson fan, that last play was the exact play that Clemson used to beat Alabama. And so I know what that's like all of a sudden, that that little flare to the right, and you're like, oh my gosh, please catch it, please catch it. And, you know, it was so weird in the broadcast, Jimmy, because it was almost like I can't remember what was going on but it was like that game-winning touchdown play was like, oh, and by the way, they just ran a play and the game's over. You know what I mean? Like they were so caught up in the fact that there were 10 seconds left and the strategy of, you know, hey, you got time for one more and then you go to a f- – and I thought But it nobody weird. understood it. Nobody understood the rules last night. MJD, Maurice Jones-Drew, who I've always enjoyed, is asking Andy Reid post-game – were you worried about the clock? Like, everybody's talking about the clock like the game was going to end. Wasn't going to end. Like, I realized that now. I was trying to say it last night. They were going to walk down to the other end. Everybody gets one possession. I don't know why they even had the clock. Like, it was just weird that you still needed the clock when the game, A, wasn't going to end in a tie, and B, they weren't going to take away their possession if triple zero was hit. They were just going to walk down to the other end. Right. They were saying this is basically like the end of a quarter, right? right? they did a bad job articulating that. Like, right. a lot of people at our viewing party were confused because it's like, is this it? Is this like touchdown or game over? And no, they were just going to walk down the other end. Yeah, so the – and they were explaining that, and then all of a sudden it's like, but it doesn't matter because there's a touchdown, it's over. <laughs> and then the other thing, and I'll leave this be because it's it's kind of a hornet's nest that there's no win in, but the total number I, – I think last night – I remember I said one of the fun prop bets would have been, which would there be more of? The final point differential in the game or Taylor Swift cutaways in the fourth quarter? Now, there were 12 total Taylor Swift showings in the game. Is that right? But it was never more than like five seconds at a time. I mean, like people that were like, the Super Bowl was hijacked by Taylor Swift. What? I just want to address, I'm not clinically insane, nor is Eddie, but Eddie is the one that looked that up. I just need that off my chest that I didn't count how many times I saw Taylor Swift. I don't think either one of you counted, right? You read (laughs) It was all over Twitter. Come on now. I understand. I just want that on the record. But I didn't think it was that, I mean... No, like I did think in the first half it was more so than the other game all year because they kept panning to her whenever. Well, they showed a couple of times like going to break. They would like roll to the break with like a replay of her. But she's also in. They did show her a ton. She's also in the family suite. Like Donna Kelsey's around there. Like 
They're doing family shots throughout. That's fair. Did they show her more than everybody? Probably. Yeah, but like, I'm sure they did. They panned to Purdy's dad. She's the most lady. famous entertainer yeah. in the world right. right now. I get it, right? right? But even if you go through the math of it, which no one cares about this, but like the course of the season they showed her is minuscule compared to the actual play that's on the field. Here is the, here's the bottom line, and we'll get more into this over the course of the show. But what we learned last night in the Super Bowl as it relates to the Indianapolis Colts is pretty simple. And you have to hope, the Colts have to hope that they have this guy. But there are very few players, very few. I don't even know, and and this is blasphemous to say in Indianapolis, I don't even know if at any point Peyton Manning fully was this guy that I'm about to say. Tom Brady was. In the later part of his career, John Elway was. And John Elway was probably even earlier in his career. Certainly Joe Montana was. Can I speak on Elway for one second? Mm-hmm. This would be the equivalent of like the Colts winning a Super Bowl. And there's no rivals to the Colts really, right? Like the Titans are there, but the Chiefs won a Super Bowl in the Raiders' home stadium. And John Elway, noted Denver Broncos legend, walks the trophy up. Like it's It's the pure quintessential AFC West, like full circle birds flipped. It felt like, yeah, there were no chargers there there, though, right? No, no chargers there. But and John Elway, who I believe by the way, is the one guy that as time goes on, people forget. You could make the argument. Actually, I think that John Elway is the greatest quarterback of all time, but that's a whole different talk show. But what I'm getting at is this. There are very few players that, their presence and their resume alters the trajectory of a game because the other team starts going away from what was working because they are absolutely on their heels. You know, halftime of that game, Usher was on roller skates. And in the fourth quarter, so too were the San Francisco 49ers because they knew and everybody knew that you can't give Mahomes too much time. You just can't. When San Francisco scored and it looked like, and you know, that missed extra point from earlier was haunting. But when they scored, you knew everybody in the world knew. Five-year-old girls in, in Burma that were watching the Super Bowl to see Taylor Swift, they knew that Patrick Mahomes, if he got the ball, was going to go down and at the very least force overtime. And then once they got down there, Kansas City was essentially able to play with house money because you knew, and they're going overtime, they're going to win the game. I want to tip the cap to Steve Spagnolo and Brock Purdy mentioned this after the game. He calls up basically a zero blitz when it looks like San Francisco is going to bleed the clock and kick a field goal. And I think he missed Jennings. I don't know who he missed. It was Ayuk or Jennings, but it was Jennings. Purdy mentioned post game that he that, that's obviously one he wanted back because they knew it was coming and they still couldn't do it. I mean, Sp- Spagnolo in that Chiefs defense, and we've said this about Brady throughout his career at times too. You need a lot to go well to win the Super Bowl. You need a little bit of luck. You got kind of got that with the muff punt. You need a great quarterback, but you also need your defense to step up. And like that was the story of the season for the Chiefs, how good that defense was for them to be able to do that when it felt like San Francisco was going to get anything they wanted. Like I was getting flashbacks from last year's Super Bowl when Kansas City bleeds the clock and beats Philadelphia and it's helpless and there's nothing you can do and then he just does what Steve Spagnuolo does, calls up a zero blitz and 
forced into a field goal. And at that point for me, Jake, that's where I'm like, okay, game on now. Yeah, I mean, you, you just knew. I mean, everybody that was watching knew, and that's the beauty of having a player like that. And the way that you – and Patrick Mahomes is that kind of player for a couple of reasons. One of them being the thing about him that is so frustrating if you're the opposition and the thing about him that is so exhausting as just a fan base and why the fatigue for him, while I think people genuinely enjoy him, and he's the Steph Curry of the NFL um, because he just makes plays that you're like, man, he's just in a zone that is unlike anything I've seen before. But one of the things about him that is so exhausting is the fact that he has made a living off of coming up with the rabbit out of the hat plays on third and 15, third and nine, fourth and eight, what every time, and you know, scrambling out of the pocket. When you think that all hell's breaking loose, and then he's able to find somebody, oftentimes not even with laser throws, but like these lazy, lame ducks that are flying through the air, and there's a guy laying on his back and it lands right in his stomach, and you're like, holy cow. But everybody knows that he's able to do those things. And there are there's an it factor about him from a leadership standpoint, and it then alters entirely the trajectory of the game where San Francisco started doing things that San Francisco normally would not do. They started, you know, Mahomes at one point came up to the line and San Francisco started to, they got antsy and they started to show where their blitz was. So Mahomes drops back, quit, calls a quick audible and boom takes advantage of where that blitz is coming from. That's the kind of nuance. That's the kind of intellect. That's the kind of experience that you have to hope an Anthony Richardson eventually gets because Richardson shows the athleticism to, like Mahomes, be able to extend plays beyond. And you hope that Richardson's going to be that guy that forces teams to start playing dishonestly about themselves because they're so worried about that quarterback. But that's rare. It's rare that you see that. Now, the other thing that happened last night that a lot was made out of, and you know what? He was right. Say what you want about Travis Kelsey. And I think Kelsey plays a bit of a character, like in the post game when he's doing the Viva Las Vegas screaming and all that. It's a it's a bit he, much. So it was a bit much. It. The reason I think he did it, again, I'm a super fan. It is what it is. They have a new heights podcast, him and Jason Kelsey, that I'm sure people have heard of it by this point, but Jason I, Kelsey. I, I'll bet you 98% of our listeners don't know of the New Heights podcast. I mean, it's got a pretty high level following. I I don't okay. I don't know about the market. But anyway, uh, Eddie, are you familiar with it? Yes. Okay. Uh they did the show live from Las Vegas on Tuesday. That's how his brother Jason opened the show was yelling Viva Las Vegas, singing it to Elvis Presley. I assume it wasn't owed to his brother. I don't know. Maybe he would have done it anyway, but yeah, he's a psychopath. Both Kelsey he, brothers. He's, he's both, playing a, correct, my he's point playing being a he's playing a character. Yes, okay. Yeah. And there are a lot of reasons why people wouldn't like Travis Kelsey, although I think people have started to figure out that he's actually a pretty fun dude and not like this. He's not – Gronk was the same way. Gronk knew how to play the role, right? But the scene on the sidelines of he and Andy Reid, he was right. He was right. Travis Kelsey was right. Travis Kelsey was saying to Andy Reid, look, give me the damn ball. And you know what? Once they did that, what happened on the final drive? Who made the play on the final drive that put them in position to win the game? Travis Kelsey. Who made plays for them and got the ball thrown his direction that was completely in absentia for the first half of that game? Travis Kelsey. Right. He was right. He was right, but you don't need to lower the shoulder of the 65-year-old. Like you, I get it. He of the moment. I've never been there. I'll never be there. Raw motions on the grandest stage, it happens, but like... 
Come on, man. Don't but my point being, shoulder. my point being, he was correct, right? He was right about the point. He was now, making. yes. The other thing that happened over the weekend, and it feels like a year ago, admittedly. But Purdue and Indiana and Mackey Arena, and, and Don Fisher is going to join us in 10, and I promise you, and then Mike Chappell, 1 o'clock today, Rob Blackman, voice of the Hoosiers at 2. I'm not going to – What's that? Uh, who, what did I say? Hoosiers. Uh, sorry, yeah, Boilermakers. Rob Blackman, obviously the voice of the Boilers. I, I'm not going to turn this into an anti-Hoosiers rant, I promise. But I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to ask the question on a Monday following the Super Bowl when the NBA All-Star Game is about to come to the city of Indianapolis and Gamebridge Fieldhouse House has out in front of it like Luka Doncic on the side of where you go by Delaware Street and it's going to be magical and it's going to be fun and it's cool and the weather was great over the course of the weekend and we had so much fun watching the Indiana-Purdue game just with – I saw my cousin Doug and, and Julie, and, and we had so much fun just hanging out, right? I, by the way, guys, not one but two people took pictures with them at uh, Broadable Tavern. I was very nice. happy about that, by the way. Um, Jacob, a guy that came up to me, was like, can I get a picture? And I'm like, absolutely. Totally cool dude. Had a great, great, great time watching the game. But if you're an Indiana fan, something was said after the game – that you have to be asking yourself, what in the heck is going on? How is this possible? You can talk to me till the cows come home and you're blue in the face about five-star recruits and NIL, top 10 NIL money and getting guys that originally committed to Duke and getting guys that are going to be lottery picks and securing all of these different things and bringing back people on your staff that are going to invigorate recruits and everything else. You can you can talk to me till you're blue in the face about all of it. And then you go out and play completely dead in Mackey Arena and get absolutely bullied around. And after the game, a former three-star recruit that was an Indiana Mr. Basketball that people that know basketball said was going to be a very good college basketball player – completely schooled Indiana, and then afterwards, Braden Smith said this, which should have Indiana fans losing sleep for weeks. Here you go. To be honest, I couldn't tell you. I was honestly really surprised how I got to the rim a couple times just with no defense, to be honest, and it just felt really weird to me, but, I mean, you just take what they give you. It felt really weird to me that there was no defense now, I don't know if that's a bigger indictment on Indiana's coaching staff for the fact that they didn't guard anybody or Purdue's coaching staff and the fact that Braden Smith was surprised Indiana doesn't play D. Being flippant there. How in the world against your arch rival after you got absolutely beaten down at home with your season in the balance, with a tiger by the tail of the NCAA tournament becoming nothing more than a faded, faded, faded memory and probably not even at this point a possibility. With all of that hanging in the balance in a hostile environment and you are just sitting there playing basically like traffic cop of like, right this way, sir. They look like literally the lane last – in that game in the lane – they look like Stifler when Finch is running to the bathroom. Let me just hold the door. Right this way, sir. And even Braden Smith was incredulous about it. 
And if you're an Indiana fan, you should be as well. And if you're a Purdue fan, you've got to say, I love it. But that's a game where we had Zach Eady hitting threes because we just did what we wanted to, partially because it was Indiana and partially because we are the second best team, if not the best, with the best resume and all of college basketball. We'll talk about a lot of it over the course of today. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The introduction speaks for itself. Don Fisher, the legendary. As a matter of fact, I want to go so far as to say, because I'm fairly certain on this, Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Indiana basketball program. Don, there are probably multiple Hall of Fames with which you are a part, correct? A couple, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to say thrice Hall of Famer. How's that? I Just because I like to say thrice. I'm assuming it's correct, right? I, I can't answer that question uh, honestly because I'm not 100% sure, but I know I'm in two. All right, well, okay, <laughs> duo Hall of Famer. How's that? Um, okay, Don, I'll begin with this. On your bingo card going into the Indiana-Purdue game on Saturday night, I'm going to guess that you did not think that Edie takes a three and it's good was going to be one of the things that you would be calling in that game, but I guess it was kind of representative of the way things went, right? Uh, it would definitely was representative because it wasn't expected and yet it happened. <laughs> but uh, the kid's just a tremendous player and whether he banks one in and called it or not, I could care less. All I know is he was part of kicking Indiana's butt and that's that's the only issue It's at large at this point. I saw after the game, Don, and I know that neither one of us are, you know, the coaches that are sitting in the huddle, right, and coming up with. And but Braden Smith after the game, we just played the audio where he said, "Look, the lane was basically completely wide open for me, and you're going to take what the defense gives you." And I was surprised by it, but it was open, and so therefore, uh, I was able to score there. And Smith had 19 in the game, went eight for 13 overall. Was that a design by like did Purdue facilitate for those lane openings up or or was Indiana having mismatch? What would you attribute kind of a defensive breakdown there for Indiana? Well, I, I think first of all, I, I'm not an X and O guy. I've said that many times on your air <laughs> with whoever's been hosting the show. Um, I, I don't go there from a coaching standpoint. What I did see was. Indiana was unable to stop Braden Smith from going almost unobstructed to the rim on several occasions in the first half. He had 15 first-half points, and most of those points were scored on just drives to the basket with nobody getting him stopped. So that's an execution perspective from my standpoint. Uh, how does that happen, and why does it continue to happen? And obviously it did in the first half, not in the second half. I think he only had four points. So obviously Indiana did something different, but that adjustment was made sometime after halftime or at halftime, I would assume. Um, And Braden Smith had his way in the first half, and he was a big part of why they were able to build that 12-point lead. Voice the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, 
mini opine by me, not speaking for you, but speaking for me, and then the question. I never really felt like they were going to win this game. I said on Friday it wasn't a matter of what Purdue wins or not. It was going to be how much. But in the first five, six minutes of that ball game, they're they're hanging around. It's like, hey, maybe, maybe this is going to be an ugly game and they're going to get a hard-fought win in Mackey, potentially. When did things turn for you? Was it that field goal drought of six minutes late in the first half? When did it feel like it got away from Indiana? Well, that's that's when the drought occurred. There's no question about that. In fact, if you look back at the play-by-play sheets, uh, with six minutes and 13 seconds to go in the first half, Khalil Ware goes out of the ball game with his second foul. And from that point forward, and Indiana was down four points at that point. So they were right there. And then it just went to heck in a handbasket for the rest of the ball game. Uh, from that per, 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 from that point forward, Purdue controlled the game. Uh, it was theirs for the taking. Uh, Indiana couldn't do anything about it, and without doubt, that's where the game turned. You know what, Don? I, I think it would be like I could go on the air today and for two hours rant about how Indiana didn't play well or Indiana didn't stop the drives or you know whatever it might be. And then I also think to myself, it almost would be selling Purdue short because that game to me was as much about just Purdue as outstanding. I'm not saying Indiana played well. I'm not saying that Indiana did what they wanted to do. But man, that is a I, I mean, that is a generationally good Purdue roster, is it not? I mean, at some point you gotta just tip your cap and go, you know what, these guys are balanced, they are selfless, and they are smart basketball players, and they go out and Maybe they toy with it for a while, but credit to Matt Painter and his group. Those guys can flat play basketball. There's no doubt. Um, and they're, they're extremely well coached. Matt does a tremendous job. He, he recruits players to his style of basketball, what he wants to do. Um, they are always, they've always got somebody that's seven foot or bigger. I mean, think about back to the Haas kid and, and Harms and all these people that they've had prior to Edie. Uh, and they've got another one on their roster that didn't play much in this ball game, but he's a seven foot one or two guy. Um, it's amazing. Uh, Matt knows where to get him, how to get him, uh, and he does a tremendous job. And you got to give him credit for that. And you're right, the, this program is on its way. And and the, to me, they're a definitive Final Four team this year. I know. There are Purdue fans that want to go, don't put the hex on us, Fisher. Um, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, I do think that they are a Final Four team, and they very easily could win a national championship if they play up to their capability because they got all the tools. I mean, uh, with one guy doesn't do as well as he normally does in ball games, somebody else steps up. Uh, in this particular game, Indiana was able to keep Fletcher Lawyer under control, and, and to some degree, Lance Jones as well. But uh, everybody else steps up and does their job. Braden Smith in the first half of this game. Obviously, everybody played well in the second half. Mason Gillis, to me, is one of the best off-the-bench guys you could possibly have in your basketball team. They are just well put together. And uh, if, if things go as they should for the Boilermakers this year, they've got a chance to, to go all the way. It's like whack-a-mole, right? I mean, like as soon as you think that you've got one of them controlled, then all of a sudden Mason Gillis pops up, and then all of a sudden Braden Smith pops up, and Fletcher Lawyer. I mean, you know, they're loaded, obviously. Um, Don, in terms of Indiana, you know, after the game, I listened to Mike Woodson, as a matter of fact, talking with you after the game on the broadcast, and he was saying, you know, there's still basketball to be played here. We're still technically, from a schedule standpoint, in the thick of it. Um, 
what sort of thing, like, have you seen from your perspective a confidence waiver from Indiana heading down the home stretch here? Because there are still possibilities for them to try to get those elusive, like, quality wins for their resume. But is the confidence wavered from your perspective in any way? Well, here's here's the thing, Jake. Take a look at this past week. Indiana goes to Ohio State, and they get themselves down 12 at halftime. Or, yeah, 12 at halftime. It becomes an 18-point lead for the Buckeyes in the first two or three minutes of the second half. And then Indiana bounces back and fights back to win the ball game in the last seconds of the contest. I mean, there is no... In, or no consistency in this basketball team that you can count on. That's the thing I'm trying to talk about here in regard to this ball club and their confidence level. What if, if they were down 12 Ohio State in Columbus, and granted the crowd there is not like it is at Mackey, that kind of thing, but you're still fighting a crowd. You're still fighting the, the lack of a home court. Uh, you're down 18 points, and you're able to come back. Well, there's obviously something going on there that's a positive, right? And then you look at the first half of the ball game against Purdue, and all of a sudden that that team looks like they've got a chance to, to maybe go into halftime and single digits down seven or eight, maybe at the worst. They get down twelve, and there's no in the second half. There's nothing to be done that they can do to stop what Purdue was able to put on the floor. My problem with this basketball team is its inconsistency to play 40 minutes of basketball. Their inability to do that from half to half, from game to game, it just doesn't happen on a consistent basis that they play some of their best basketball. And obviously the bench right now has really kind of slid. It's, I mean, they're only getting, I mean, they're only got a couple of guys off the bench that are doing much. And yet CJ Gunn comes in the ball game and scores 13 points in what, 19 minutes in the ball game. I mean, you just don't know where it's going to come from, and that's part of the goodness of, of what Purdue puts out there because any given night they've got two or three different guys that can that can really build you up and, and keep the confidence going. Where with Indiana, you might get one guy doing that, but you don't get three or four, and, and that's one of the big problems with this basketball team right now. Don, do you think that's a – maturity issue and I don't mean like that guys are sitting around you know just not having played a lot issue in terms of one another or just like an overall kind of cohesiveness of of understanding roles and and buy-in if you will from this roster well we're 24 games into the season Jake (laughs) if this team doesn't understand their role at this point if they don't understand their roles uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you're 24 games in. Your team is, is like I said, inconsistent on an almost game-by-game basis in some way, shape, or form. Uh, there's just nothing there that you can count on consistently. And, and that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not putting this on coaches. I'm not putting on players. It's the issues that are going on right now. All you're doing is looking at the, at the situation and you're trying to figure out what is the issue. And I can't put my finger on it. It's It's got to be something inside the program at this juncture. That's all I can tell you. Hall of Fame voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, is our guest. Don, people can debate what the standard is at Indiana year by year. When you have five banners, it's always contend for a national title, make a Final Four, honor the echoes of yesteryear. I get all that. But at minimum, the standard to most is to make the NCAA tournament every year. And that's likely 
off the table this season. But my larger question is, I don't think this is a hot seat year for Mike Woodson. That's not the question I'm asking you. When you look at the staff, though, and you look at the players, because I'm worried about the bottom kind of falling out on this thing, two home games against Northwestern Nebraska, then on the road at Penn State, and the list goes on and on for their remaining games. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose from these next six, seven, eight games? You mean player-wise? Yeah, either way, player, staff, in terms of, hey, we need to see this to get a better understanding for what needs to be changed in the 24-25 campaign. Well, I mean, that always boils down to players at the end of the day. Uh, does it not? I mean, you're, you're looking yeah. at the guys who have to execute the game plan on the floor. If a game plan isn't being executed, then there's a reason why. And obviously, at this point in the time of the season, this team – these guys ought to know their role. They ought to understand what the coaches have asked them to do. And at this juncture, you've got to say the players are the only ones who can do it because the coaches can't come out there and play for them. So, uh, right, if they don't understand their roles at this point, then what are we doing? I guess what, I guess what, I, what I'm more looking at there is in today's college basketball, as you know, where the transfer portal is present and people can take either easy way outs or put themselves in better situations, teams are also doing the same of figuring out who wants to be a part of this team moving forward and what type of changes you have to make in the offseason. Well, and, and, and from, that, from that perspective alone, I, I would say this is a toss-up on this roster at the end of the season. I mean, I think these next seven games are going to be pivotal to what we're going to see at the end. Uh, I don't know how anybody else looks at it, but there's no doubt. I mean, they're going to lose players like Xavier Johnson and Anthony Walker, whose eligibility is up. Who else in this roster is still able to come back and play another year? Will Trey Galloway come back? Will Malik Renew come back? Will Khalil Ware come back? Or what are they looking at now? I mean, I think these next seven games are going to be pivotal in regard to who is on this roster a year from now. Don, I'm going to end on a positive note because, as you know, Don, I mean, I'm all sunshine and gun Are you hanging up on me then? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. No, 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 we're not. Trust me, I'm right there with you, right? But, um, and I've been pretty vociferous about Indiana, my frustrations for certain. But, and I don't know how much, Don, so I don't want to put you in a bad spot here. I don't know how much you get a chance. Uh, maybe just in coming in going down and being at a practice or to interview Coach Woodson where you get to see the women's team at Indiana, but they are having an outstanding season. They're 20 and three and a huge congratulations and a tremendous honor for McKenzie Holmes to become the all-time leading scorer in Indiana women's basketball history. What they've done with that program and um, capturing the the interest and the excitement of the fan base down there and 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 doing great things, I think absolutely should be commended. There's no question about that. Terry Morin deserves all the credit. She's put her rosters together here for the last several years now. Uh, they've gent- they gently started building it uh, You know, back when she first came on board. She has done a remarkable job of building the program, getting it to where she thought it needed to be, uh, where they could start getting recruits to come in here and be excited about coming to play for IU. And that's where they're at right now. And there's no question the, the job that Mackenzie Holmes has done, I mean, she's just a tremendous player, and she's just a great gal. Um, and when you listen to her talk, how in, intelligent she is, uh, how she can actually tell you exactly what's going on and how confident this team is playing, that, that to me is probably the biggest part of what we're seeing between the men and the women right now is how confident the women play 
uh, in the, the degree of uh, how it lends into its winning ways and how incompetent sometimes this Indiana men's basketball team is going into ball games. And, and when you realize competence is a major factor, uh, well, there's no question that you've got it going if you've got that confidence level with all your team and within the program. And right now, I don't know that we can say that about men. The men's side of it inside Indiana men's basketball with Mike Woodson taking place with Don Fisher. You can hear it on this station tonight immediately following the Pacers game. And again, the women 20-3, and Mackenzie Holmes now the all-time leading scorer in Indiana women's basketball history. Don, appreciate it. As always, look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers with uh, very unfiltered, but yet at the same time accurate descriptions of Indiana basketball. We'll talk more about it on the other side here. You're listening to Aquarian Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So this was the Super Bowl halftime show. Pretty good performance, I thought. I I didn't think it was like blow you away, the most amazing thing I'd seen, but I thought it was entertaining and well done i thought um, it started kind of slow and then eventually yeah, we got i there. agree with that the yeah, song selection fair. choice was oh that's fair um but let's get to the the real story of the super bowl which was the commercials were there any that jumped out at you that you thought were really good so eddie made a joke about this during the break but it's not a joke it's a fact i don't really remember a ton of the commercials again i want to preface this not because i was like drunk and didn't remember things i just because you were actually invested in Correct. the game, right? right. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed, even though they teased it a little bit, I enjoyed the Arnold Schwarzenegger um, uh, Stay na- neighbor yeah. instead of neighbor, right. and they bring Danny DeVito in, um, Ben Affleck and... Uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Uh, J-Lo. Matt Damon. Yeah. They, they teased that a little bit before the Super Bowl. I liked both those. I thought... Christopher Walken and Usher as well. There was a Volkswagen commercial or something. I don't know what a car it was. Okay, there was one for Volkswagen that was... Um, set to music and it was just kind of the history of Volkswagen over the years and I thought that was that was a cool commercial because it was just to me it was um, anytime that a company is able to do a commercial that shows that they've been with you for a long time yeah you know is well done yeah that that was cool just nostalgically speaking I just thought it was kind of a sentimental type feel the Dunkin Donuts was great because uh, you know, having Tom Brady in there, obviously yeah. you got star power. Matt Damon, it was funny. A lot of like Boston the, guys, right? Yeah, well, that's the whole deal, right. right? And But the most effective commercials, again, go back to this. The You obviously knew, the, the Schwarzenegger and DeVito, you knew right away it was for State Farm. Yep. Right, like a good neighbor. Because they, you know, they kept saying the the reason that was a brilliant commercial is because the hook or tag the catch yep. of the, the yep. tagline, yep. he says it like twenty times. By the way, to your point about forgetful commercials, uh, the 
Usher, Christopher Walken ad was BMW, not Volkswagen. So See, yeah, I mean, case in point, right? Yeah. There have been a lot of those over the past. If you go back, it's interesting if you go back and look at like the 2002 Super Bowl, literally every commercial is for a dot-com that was gone by the 2003 <laughs> Super Bowl. It's Bumble unbelievable. <laughs> but the... Oftentimes, when you when you see people evaluating commercials, they're like, "Oh man, I love the one where the guy like dropped his Viagra pill." And you're like, "What was it for?" Um, gosh, I can't remember. Well, it was for Fiat, and no one remembers that. So the point of the commercial completely out the window, right? Dwight Freeney was in one of the commercials last night for Indiana Donor Network. Of course, it comes during the week that Dwight Freeney found out that he is a Hall of Famer, and one of the guys that was part of that vote. Uh, he explained it with KB and Andy last week, but if you didn't hear that, I want to revisit that and talk about what we learned last night and how it affects the Colts. All of that conversation with the Dean Mike Chapel is next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So the season is complete in the National Football League. The Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions. I actually was curious, gentlemen, before... Uh, Kansas City took the lead. I thought if San Francisco does win this game, I wonder what the pregame odds were on Jennings for being the MVP because he would have been MVP, right? I started looking at Harrison Butker uh, MVP odds because of the where the Chiefs' offense was. Like maybe they're going to win a, just a field goal game. I don't know where Jennings was, but that same end, Jake, I imagine it was pretty high. I think he was like plus two fifty or something like that going in. But um, nonetheless, Kansas City wins the game. Joining us now to talk about that and more is Mike Chappell, WXIN and CBS4, of course, longtime writer for the Indianapolis Colts. Chap, uh, I guess the question is this. Patrick Mahomes to me last night, and there aren't a lot of guys that you can say this about, but tell me if you agree with this. He dictated the way San Francisco ended up playing, especially in the fourth quarter, where when you have an elite-level talent like that, you start to kind of become dishonest with yourself in terms of the way you go about things because of the fear factor of knowing that Mahomes at any time can pull that rabbit out of the hat. And I thought that San Francisco kind of got away from what they needed to do. And then other teams, you look at it and you go, can we get that out of our quarterback in time? The Colts would want that eventually for Anthony Richardson. But do you agree with the fact that that's kind of Mahomes' edge aside from the X's and O's and the execution of it? Well, that's that's what all the those mobile quarterbacks do. Lamar Jackson, who had an awful game when they got beat, but when the play breaks down, that guy can, or or the play is extended, not necessarily breaks down, but when, when the defense when the defense has the right scheme and has has you beaten, that guy still beats you, and that, that's the one thing that Chris Ballard told us uh, in January. He said when you have he was talking Richardson, but when you have that guy people play you differently. It, it's got to be so frustrating for a coordinator to have the right defense dialed up and then the quarterback escapes to the right, extends a play, either finds a guy or picks up the three yards or what was it? He picked up eight yards on fourth and one, whatever. That's where it really makes it hard. You know, Peyton Manning would never do that, would seldom do that because that wasn't who he was. He didn't have that skill set. 
there's five or six guys in the league that you have the right thing. You've got everything done correctly. Nobody botched on the side, but nobody got out of their gap. And he still beats, and you think, man, you know, and there's so many, there's so few of those guys. It's funny how you look and and people want that quarterback, and there just aren't, you know, there's like five guys, six guys maybe that are that guy. And if you don't have it, you want that guy. And it's, it's just not like when the Colts were going through this, Quarterback carousel. You you want that guy. You want Joe Burrow. You want Josh Allen. Well, that, you just it just has to it has to be nineteen ninety eight, and things fall into place, and you get Peyton Manning or the same thing with Andrew Luck. And if 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 the, if the golf gods aren't winking at you, it's a tough sledding. But Mahomes, you know, I not to, I, I, Robin Miller got me out of betting because he just did. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> but how how you ever bet against Patrick Mahomes? I don't know. I really don't. The Chiefs were were really a flawed team. Defense is pretty good, but they they just didn't have. That wasn't one of their better offensive teams at all. But Mahomes, the the, the, the definition of greatness is that player lifts players around him and makes them better. Manning did that with so many players, and Mahomes does that with guys that. Like like Hardman, I mean, what he started the season with the Jets after the Chiefs let him go. I mean, you make you make other just marginal guys Super Bowl heroes, and that's what the great players do. Well, and I mean, chap, to that point, you know, it's kind of like New England. You know, for New England, so many years that you thought to yourself, well, this is it for New England. They've hit their ceiling, and then you're like, right. man, they just keep plugging guys in. Well, no, they have the engine that it. allows you to put in, you know, right. spare parts all over the place. And I think we saw the Colts, once Manning went down, we saw like, holy cow, there were a lot of things he was masking here, right? Right. One of the players for Kansas City that does seemingly stand on his own would be Travis Kelsey. So the question is with Indianapolis, they have clearly been trying to rotate through in a tight end room that has been crowded to find out if they can get a yard after catch tight end in the group. Do the Colts have that on roster right now? Probably not. You see things, you know, Will Mallory showed you some nice things in in, in glimpses. Jelani Woods, I mean, you thought so last year, and this year he misses the season with hamstrings. Drew Ogletree, you know, we probably will never see him play here again. Uh, in Kylan Granson, you sort of like him, but but then he kind of disappears. No, they haven't. And Molly Cox, God love him. He's maximized everything going from power forward to football, but I think we've seen the best of him. So, no, I, I've seen some mock drafts where they get the, the tight end from from uh, Georgia if he's there at 15, and there's probably a good chance he won't be there. And, gosh, you just don't take tight ends in the top 10. You just don't. Rare. It's kind of like, like taking a guard in the top you know, six. It's just not done very often. But with, with I'm going to write about it later in the week. That's when Chris Ballard says, and even Shane Sykin, we need to get more explosive. You know, I don't know that guy's on the roster. I, I just you'd like to think that Michael Pittman's game has more of that, and it probably does with Richardson. But it's going to require that tight end who can get down the seam and guys. Look at all these the the the, the finalists, the final four in the, in, in the NFL. 
and they all had that quality tight end. I mean, I realized Mark Andrews was coming back from, from injury and all that, but Kittle and Kelsey and all these guys, boy, that, that's what you want. And, you know, all those guys, none of those guys were taken that high. So you got to identify them and, and make that part of your offense. And maybe that that's probably the part that's missing on this roster is, you know, we hearken back to the Dallas Clark days and the things that he did at his size. I mean, he was barely a tight end. And in most of the time they, they kept with his strengths and they didn't ask him to block defensive ends because that's not what he did. But in the passing game, he was such a, a force. And that's probably what's missing on this offense. One of the main things that's missing on this offense. Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Chap, during the Brady-Manning eras, I always thought Peyton was the better quarterback. I always thought that if you put Peyton in New England with that defense, that they would have been as successful as they were. And I know that's this classic sports talk conversation, but then Brady has the longevity and does things older than any other player ever did and still did it at a high level, and it becomes a complicated conversation. Patrick Holmes is 28 years old, three Super Bowls, three Super Bowl MVPs. He's now third all-time in playoff wins behind Montana and Brady. I'm not trying to make a full GOAT conversation here for him. I want to let his career play out, but when you look at him, it's Brady, Montana, and him right now in my eyes. Do you see it that way? Yeah, it's like the Tiger Woods thing. What he did so early in his career, just piling them up. And, yeah, let's let it play out. But if Mahomes doesn't play another game, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Which, to say that about a guy who's 20 years old and has such a short career, that's that's very, very – that's Gale Sayers, like, as far as discussion of the mark he's made. So – and, and there's no reason to believe that that thing should fall off. Uh, the, the only thing that, that's gonna, that would probably keep it from just really getting crazy in numbers is the bounce of the ball, is that he, that he doesn't convert fourth and one on, on that keeper or, or you know an, another play here or there uh, along the way to, to where the football guy says, now, remember the scene of uh, Peyton sitting on the, uh, on the bench in the AFC Championship game? when Brady got the ball back yeah. and he's sort of praying. And he, I think he said, finally, he's, uh, you don't seldom pray for things, but he's saying, you know, he got it. You've given Tom, quite, or Tom's <laughs> had quite a few. Maybe this one time, let us win one. So, he, but but barring that, that screwy stuff, why won't he be back? Not every year for Christ. Surely not every year. I mean, the, the league's not built for that, right, with the parody in well, it. It's and, not. And, and that's the other thing. The league is not, it, it really wasn't built for the Patriots to do this because of the salary cap and it's, but but when you when you, we've we've said this ad nauseum when you got that guy everything's possible you know Peyton would have had more would 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 and people hate to hate you. Peyton would have done more here had the timing not been the same and and the Patriots are, were were in the way out or San Diego they had trouble with San Diego in the playoffs a couple times but but I, I just it's it's you're not supposed to do this because of Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and how hard it is to get there. Yes, to win it. Yes, to win it. But to get there is so hard. I mean, how, how, go back to midseason and people had really written off the Chiefs. Remember, the receivers suck and they can't do this. And the same thing with Buffalo. 
And you find a way, and they're great quarterbacks. I was sitting there in the first half, and I'm thinking, man, they're letting Mahomes hang around. And that's just yeah. not that's just not smart. Listen, it's just not. I, I sent a tweet at one point that said, because this was just how it felt. And, you know, it wasn't an original thought. I think the entire, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a nine-year-old girl from Singapore that was watching for Taylor Swift could have figured this out, right? <laughs> and by that, I mean it felt like San Francisco was in complete dominant control for the first yes. like two and a half quarters of that game. And you looked at it and said, and yet they're keeping him within one score. That's that's suicide. You can't do that. You have to take advantage. And and Brock Purdy did not play poorly. I you know I thought he he was fine. It just was a really good defensive trenches game, and they could not take advantage of uh, of Mahomes not being corralled. And then chap once they scored quickly off the muffed punt. At that point, it was like it was over because you made yeah. the mistake of of giving him letting him sniff it right. Yeah, and, and that's what the great quarterbacks do. And, and that's what, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that Mahomes is the much better quarterback than Tom Brady. He just is. I mean, the things he can do and all this stuff. Now, again, the, the championships and in, in the sustained Michael Jordan-esque brilliance, that's what really separated Brady. Give him a chance. and He, he would put his foot on your throat. And, and you'd be breathing your last because that's that's what the great ones, the really great ones, Larry Bird, those guys, Magic Johnson, those guys were just assassins. And whether you were playing football or you know dominoes or whatever, they're going to kick your ass. And that's what Mahomes does. And again, that that was probably the worst collection of skill players. He's had. It was, you know, still it's not probably, really chap, chap. It's not probably. I can I can definitively right. tell you it's accurate. It, it's yeah. They let the league in drops, chap. I, that's what I'm saying. In the first half, didn't Kelsey have one catch, yeah, one target, yeah, one yard? Yeah. I mean, yet they, that, that's what I'm saying. And I'm sure the Niners, deep down, Shanahan and his staff thought, man, what was it? Was it 10 to 3 at the half? I think it was. Yep. yep. They're thinking, man, we ought to be up 17 uh, it, 3. I, I think in all the playoff games this year, and I think all three with Super Bowl wins. They came back from yeah. They were down at ten least at least. Yep. yep. That, that's just that's that's obscene. <laughs> but th- but that that's what those quarterbacks do. Peyton being down twenty eight to three, you know, back in 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 the 06 playoffs to, to Brady. You're thinking, remember the theme that year was it's our time and uh, maybe not. But that's what those quarterbacks do. They give you that chance. Andrew Luck did the same thing. Remember it was thirty eight to ten against the Chiefs yep. in the playoffs. Yep. And he he gives you a chance. Now you, you, you got to do things along the way. You you know the Colts had to help the Vikings overcome thirty three zero. But when that quarterback, when you don't put him away, and I, I would think thirty eight ten is putting a guy away. But but I, I just I just always had the feeling that the, the Niners were, were were so dominant and the Chiefs were just just clinging and clinging. And then when you don't put them away, they say, okay, here we come. And and I don't think anyone had any doubts, really, how that game was going to end. Chap, we talked a lot in the early goings about where the Colts are, how close they are. And you're right, you need the magical quarterback. If you don't have the magical quarterback, you have to have a perfect defense. And even then, sometimes that's not enough, as we saw a couple of times in this postseason, Baltimore most notably, who felt like they had both. When you look at the Colts, from Anthony Richardson, just him, and where the Colts' defense is, both of which you need more growth from, 
which is closer to being where Buffalo, where San Francisco, where Kansas City was of kind of having the best of both worlds on both sides of the ball? Which side of the Colts? Yeah, which, which, which side are they closer on? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I, I want to say offensively, but that so much depends on – not so much. Everything depends on Richardson. And we're really basing all the optimism on four games, which is really – he's played now, what, uh, is it 19 games? Was it 15 in college? Uh, and four – Really, and I went. I looked at the math. He played three games. When you look at his snaps, he played three games. That is just for for, for me to sit here and say, yeah, I really, I really feel like this offense is going to take off because they got the quarterback. Uh, it, it's sort of blind faith, and it's sort of all they've been through. This guy has got to be the guy because if he's not, you're looking at darkness for another ten years, eh, six or seven years. And it'll be hard for this franchise to, to deal with that. But everything we saw, uh, th- this guy does a lot of what the better quarterbacks do, buying time and getting outside. He had four touchdown runs and, and again, the four starts. And the things he and, and Jonathan Taylor can do and Michael Pittman and, and get another receiver in here uh, who, can, who can be a number two guy. And then, you know, yes, you need a defense. I mean, the, the, the 2000s, you know, with, 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 like, with, with all that Manning and Harrison and Edgern and all these guys Reggie did, boy, the defense really slammed the door. Uh, I thought the defense is the reason they won the Super Bowl in 06, you know, with the Bob Sanders and, you know, let's not forget Rob Morris played really well during, during that run. And that's why the defense, I think, needs to be better and it will get better. The defensive line looked pretty good. The linebackers looked pretty good. Secondary scares me. It needs it needs help at corner. It needs help at safety. But that's what the off season's for. They've got they've got they've got the the, the flexibility to do something. You know, even re-signing Pittman, or even retaining Pittman with a franchise tag or a long term deal, you still have you still have the flexibility without doing anything crazy. You know, restructuring or cutting players. You still have the, the, the wherewithal to re-sign Kenny Moore, to re-sign Grover Stewart, to go out and get, to still go out and get a receiver, a free agent receiver in the twelve, fifteen million dollar range. If, if 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 you really want to be bold, which I don't know if they would be that bold. So, yeah, I, it's still got to be offensive driven because of the quarterback. I, I I wish I had more evidence to to reinforce my faith that he's the right guy, but. He has to be the right guy. Mike Chappell is our guest, of course, talking about the Colts and the Super Bowl from last night. Obviously, those two are separate things. Uh, Chapp, I know you talked with Kevin and Andy about this. For our listeners, I wanted to expand upon it. You know, I thought it was really cool, as I mentioned a couple of times last night, and I know it was a local, not a national spot, but it was pretty cool to sit there during the Super Bowl. I don't know if you caught it, Chapp. But an ad comes on for Indiana Donor Network, whose ads you hear on this radio yes. station, with Dwight yes. Freeney. And I thought, holy cow, you want to talk about – and my understanding is, I can tell you, that the Donor Network, Nicole, who oversees their marketing, a year ago just thought, who can I get that would be a really good spokesperson for us? And she just kind of out of a, a hat pulled out Dwight Freeney and thought, I'm going to give this a shot. And man, did that pay off because here you are during the Super Bowl and he during the week that he – finds out he's a Hall of Famer. So, 
in terms of the Hall of Fame vote for Freeney, I'm not going to say were you surprised because you're a voter, but can you kind of take us through what the last year, from last year's vote to this year's vote, I guess what changed? It's a good question because because last year, again, it's you have the 15 and then we cut it down to 10 and then it was cut to 5. And it really matters that you go from 10 to 5. It just shows you the, the, the depth of your support. Last year, Freeney didn't go from 10 to 5. He, he was eliminated. Jared Allen did. So I kind of thought, well, you know, here we are. Cause, and Jared Allen has the more sacks and all this. And at that position, you kind of go by numbers. But the more I looked into it and, and, and talked to people, the and I mentioned, I've mentioned this before, but we all have our, our thoughts of Dwight Freeney and how dominant and great of a player he was here in Indy. But I'm telling you, nationally, the perception of Dwight Freeney is more. It just is. Uh, had a chance to talk to Joe Thomas, the you know Cleveland left tackle, and he said, "Best pass rusher I've I played against in my 11 years, best." And he played against most of these guys. He said, "Yeah," he said, "Julius Pepper, he could get a sack on you if you got sloppy." Well, that's that's hardly a compliment. <laughs> so he just said with Freeney with the spin move. He said he revolutionized the position. So nationally, uh, the perception of, of Freeney was just over the top. And I saw a tweet to where Jared Allen wasn't the least bit happy that he got jumped by Freeney. You know, well, deal with it. You know, Reggie's dealing with that now for five years. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was really pleased with Freeney. I talked to Dwight a few days before that. Because, again, I'd known about it. As You know, we've talked and you've asked me and I've lied to you or not told you whatever. But I've known for like a month. And I talked to Dwight about 10 days ago, and he was just over the top, please. And he thought he should have been the first ballot guy last year, which tells you these guys think about themselves. You know, but that we put in DeMarcus Ware last year ahead of Freeney. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's the one thing on Freeney with that donor network, they, they ran that, that's those spots during – the season that that's not that wasn't a new thing that's something they've shown which right it's been all year I, yeah I always thought I always thought that was not strange but he's not really a local guy you know he he's from Connecticut and he lives in West Palm Beach and but but such a such a great ambassador hey he's done a great job with that you know what I mean yeah. like he he did everything they asked and he's done a really good job of promoting that for them right and, and, and that's what you want that's when you've got the platform. Some guys, not a lot of guys, use that. Zaire Franklin. I mean, what what he's done. Kenny Moore. What these guys have done. And, and hopefully, Anthony Richardson. But when you've got that platform, Frank Reich did a great job. When you've got that platform, and still does, with, with his with his foundation. That was it. Was it not not now or not? Uh, I'll mess it up. The the one on uh, on protecting you know young kids. That's what you want. And for Freeney to do this is really cool. And he's a great guy. And what's funny, the, 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 talking to him, and I did, you know, I've been away from Dwight for a little bit, but he said, "Yeah, he said I was. Uh, we had this at we had this event at. Uh, I play golf every day with Michael, and we had it at Michael's Michael's uh, uh, golf club. And I said, Michael, he said, yeah, Michael Jordan.' I said, you mean you mean Michael Jordan? You know, like right, like right. like it's not 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 Michael Jordan, my mailman, but Michael Jordan, you know." the NBA guy. And he said, yeah. And normally if you're playing golf and you say, we're going to play at, at Jake's course, well, it's, that's where you normally play. Well, no, this, this was Michael Jordan's golf course. He owns a darn thing. 
So it, it was kind of funny. I, I, I thought it was a cool thing that he's best friends with Michael Jordan. Can you imagine the competitive nature of their golf rounds? I mean, that's got to be off the charts. And not only but, that, uh, but, you know, a guy that he probably grew up, you know, he would have been vintage age to grow up. Right. It, you know, 11-year-old Dwight Freeney is worshiping right. Jordan as a player, right? We're, and we're, then, in 20, we're in a 23 jersey. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that's the name of the course is Golf Course 23. If, but, yeah, it is really cool. And I'm looking forward to getting together with Dwight and Canton and before Canton and all that. So it'll be a great time in August uh, with Dwight Franey and the Colts because the Colts always do it up nice when they've got a guy in the Hall of Fame. So what is the next step then for Reggie Wayne, chap, for, for myself, who's ignorant to it, and for our listeners? You know, like in baseball, you get so many years, and then you go into, like, the Veterans Committee. and they. Right. So for Reggie Wayne, in terms of the ballot, the process is what, and that goes for how long if he – is continually denied. Yeah, it's Groundhog Day. Uh, you, you're you're eligible for for 20 years, uh, and then you go into the senior pool, which is which is really where you don't want to go because there's a ton of great players, great players in that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again next year. And I, I was PO'd. Not that Andre Johnson got in. Well, yeah, I was because he got in because their 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 resumes are similar. Reggie's is better. It's just better. Uh, and normally we take the guys who've waited longer when we've got guys who are apples and apples that are really close together. Reggie's been waiting five years. Andre was third year. Tory Holt's been waiting ten years. And I think I think Reggie's a better can a much better candidate than Tory Holt. But that's you know. So hopefully next year it's just a, and he'll be a finalist again next year. And what's going to be I I I'm dreading facing Reggie because I feel like I've let him down. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that's not the case. But every year is different. And next year we're going to have – there's 10 guys that didn't get in. Probably six of them come back into the room. Some of them won't. And then you've got Adam Vinatieri, who I think, in my mind, is you say Adam Vinatieri and you sit down. He's, he, he, he's, he's, he's a Peyton Manning uh, type of guy. That, that Of course he's a Hall of Famer first ballot. Eli Manning. It's his first year. I think that's going to be a long, long debate. I mean, he's got a really strange career. He does. And then you got Reggie. You got Jared Allen. So hopefully next year. And I think I think in, in in the room in our room, we decided that we've got to get somebody in. So they got in Andre Johnson, which again I'm PO'd over, but I'm one of 50 votes. And then it's got to be another receiver because in a few years, Larry Fitzgerald comes up. You know, and he's going to be an interesting, you know, debate first ballot or not because of the, his the length of his career and his numbers. So, Reggie doesn't want to hear this. Reggie will be in the Hall of Fame. He will. That's I'm ninety nine point nine percent convinced of it. Edger had to wait six years, which he wasn't happy about that until he got in. Then he said it. The waiting didn't matter, but trust me, it mattered while he was waiting. Reggie's tired of it. I understand he should be. He'll get in hopefully next year. Uh, you just keep fighting the fight. And I, I think somebody mentioned that, and I sort of agree, which is unfair. I think there's a Colts fatigue setting in. Hey, these guys won one Super Bowl, and you're putting all these guys in. Well, no, they, they were that great of players. They all were. So, so we'll see. But I, I, I'm convinced Reggie gets in. He's just got to wait a little longer. And for those that were confused by Chap's comment about Reggie Wayne and you feel like you let him down, that's because it is the responsibility of each writer 
that covered a player to objectively give the platform for and sell the case for the player at which the other voters vote off of that. And that is usually a rundown of statistics and impact within the game and the franchise. Chap, we appreciate the time as always. What's that? Yeah, that, yeah, you got it right. And then, then we have debate, and then we vote, and then we got people pissed off like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go out and you play 23 rounds of golf together at, at the 23 club, right? There you go. There you go. Chap, appreciate it. You guys. Appreciate right it. Mike guys, Chappell yeah. from CBS4 and WTTV. When we come back, long time coming. Talking about Reggie Wayne? Not that. But a long wait is over with some breaking news. We'll tell you what it is in just a couple minutes. This Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This band, by the way, the Screaming Trees, right? And listen, pay attention, you trees, and scream it from the mountaintops if you'd like. Because here on this, the 12th day of February, is that correct? Yep. The 12th Two days day of February of 2024. <laughs> It has been. That means that we are right now just shy of a month away from what would have been a 45-year drought. Eddie Garrison, please, if you could, play the breaking news sounder. The Indiana State Sycamores, for the first time since March 5th of 1979, are in the Associated Press College Basketball Top 25. The trees coming in at 23rd in the land. And listen, I'm going to say this to all of you that went to Indiana State. My aunt, actually my great aunt, my late great aunt Dottie, was a graduate of Indiana State Teachers College, as it was known back then, and was always touting her pride for Indiana State because she has spent a career as a teacher and it meant the world to her about Indiana State. And I mean this with all sincerity. Having grown up on the north side of Indianapolis and attending Indiana, but most of the kids that I went to school with, if they went to school in state, went to Purdue, Indiana, some DePaul, some Ball State. I don't know that I knew any kids that went. I take that back. Nikki Sims from my class went to Indiana State to play basketball. But I think that there are a lot of people in particular that grew up in southern Indiana. You know, J.M.V. obviously growing up in, in Greene County and going to Indiana State, and he's a proud sycamore. But I do know people that went to Indiana State that almost have like, and I mean this in support of them, not in condescension at all. But I think there are some people that went to Indiana State that are like, they're instead of a 10 on their ability or their excitement to tell you they went to Indiana State it's like a nine because there's I I think for a lot of them there's kind of this insecurity of it didn't have the basketball prowess of IU it doesn't have the like engineering academic prowess of Purdue 
And so I'm not going to say a stigma, but I think that people from Indiana State have kind of a hesitation of of having this pride, almost like there's an insecurity about it, yeah. just because it gets so lost in the conversation of so many areas collegiately in the state of Indiana. So if you went to Indiana State, or if you grew up in Terre Haute and you went to the Holman Center to watch Indiana State games, whatever it might be, I want you to stand up right now, do like they do in yoga and calisthenics, push your chest out, go ahead and spread those shoulders and say, you know what? Hell yes. I'm a sycamore. I am Indiana State, and we are ranked in the top 25 and flat out getting it done. And I'll tell you what, they continue to move up in terms of, you know, there was a time where the thought was that in Lenardi's bracketology, et cetera, that they were like an 11, 12 seed. Yeah. I, I mean, they obviously are going to have to maintain this and stay where they are, but they absolutely move the ball around. They shoot the ball from the outside. I mean, their guard play is fast and efficient in the way that they get it done. I'm thrilled for Indiana State. Kudos to them, man. I am absolutely thrilled for them. And for those of you that are fans of ISU, it's your time. Enjoy it. Celebrate it because it's well, well, well earned. Two things. One goes without saying, they're like ranked 20th nationally in a lot of different rankings from like a, a net standpoint, which is a very, very good spot. You want to be on the right side for the committee's angle. Win the Valley. JMV has said that, like, go win the Valley. Don't lead this up to the committee. I think they're probably fine. They have a really, really good resume for a mid-major. Like, I think they'll probably get in, but go win the Valley, number one. And number two, Jake, you are the commander of mental gaffes in terms of not you have them, but you are able to assess how bad the gaff is. That, so, had you asked me, hey, when was the last time Indiana State was ranked? Had you asked me that way, I would have guessed Bird. Because that would have made right. sense. That said, I am kind of surprised, and maybe that's ignorance and, and bad on my part, that it's been that long. I, I totally agree. No, I agree with that. You would think that there would have been, especially coming off of that, an ability or just a year, you know, like like even Evansville. You know, Evansville, like in 89, Scotty Hafner's there, and he's putting up huge points. You know, Ball State and the Chandler Thompson era and Dick Hunsaker, and then Ball State, actually, when they had that run with Tim Buckley, um, with... P.D. Jackson, I think it was, their point guard when they won out in Hawaii and they beat UCLA in Kansas and they came back and were ranked like 15th. So everybody kind of has their turn, right? It is a little bit surprising that it's been since then. But you know what? Kudos to them, man. Kudos to the trees. And I'm in the boat where, yes, even even Purdue, even as an IU alum, I'll say it, I, I want the state to do well in the dance, right? And so especially when it's a smaller school like non big 10 power if a valpo gets in butler i mean they're not they're not they're they're big east ball now right they're not the same as they were when they were that lovable horizon league team but they're going to be a tournament team this year great atmosphere by the way on saturday at hinkle fieldhouse as they squeak out a win over providence in a hard fought one but there's going to be good representation in the tournament this year for the state and to have a school like indiana state in it it's awesome and i hope i hope the sycamores make some noise the gary mack broadcast legend indianapolis this jake proud Indiana State grad, graduate class of 84. Greg Pulley, whose son Owen is over there doing radio right now. Go trees, I'm telling you. Push your chest out, it's cool. Uh, the rest of the top 25, by the way, in case you're curious, UConn, Purdue, Houston, Marquette, and Arizona, your top five, followed by Kansas, North Carolina, Tennessee, Duke, and Iowa State rounding out 
the top 10. How about Iowa State, man? Being ranked 10th. South Carolina, 11. Baylor, Auburn, Illinois, Alabama, Dayton, Creighton, St. Mary's, BYU, and Wisconsin. And then the trees at 23, right behind the Wildcats of Kentucky, who, by the way, right now, and it means nothing because it's obviously just a facsimile, but Joe Lenardi right now, Indiana State and Kentucky Ooh. would be the first round matchup. That would be very that would be a very sexy matchup if that happens. I think three straight losses, by the way, at Rupp for the Wildcats. First time that's happened. I'll ever. tell you this. If Indiana State, I'll say this right now on the air. If Indiana State eliminates Kentucky from the NCAA tournament. Is this like Indiana, Michigan 2.0 all over again? No, 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 no. If no, it no. happens, you'll like, gloat about it. But no, if it doesn't, it's like, no. hush, hush. I don't want to undercut Jake. There's legitimacy to this one. No, I don't want to undercut the IU-Michigan prediction, but like, this is real. The odds of this happening are very slim because, first off, they would have to even be paired up against one another. Right, These, sure. these are mock you got to have that happen pairings. first, right. If Indiana State eliminated Kentucky from the NCAA tournament, I will get the Indiana State logo, the baby blue version, not the royal blue. I will get the Indiana State logo tattooed somewhere on my body. And I have no tattoos. I've always said I'll never get a tattoo because I can't rule out the possibility that I someday may be a fugitive (laughs) of the law. But if Indiana State eliminated Kentucky, I will go all in and get the ISU logo. And I didn't even go there. Permanent or temporary? What's that? Permanent or temporary? ink me up, needle me. And I don't even like needles. But I would be that ecstatic over it. Now, I might put it like yeah. somewhere where you can't necessarily see it all the time. But I'm telling you right now, Indiana it would State, be awesome. I'll buy a hat for you. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite as locked in as you are. I'll I, get a hat or a t shirt. Sycamore Sam, I, I'm down with him. He's cool. Sure. He's like the little wildcat that runs around. He's cool. Like, it, I'm telling you, Byron and I went over for that game. It might have been the last, when I think about the Horizon League tournament, which, by the way, is going to be at, again, Coliseum, the Coliseum nice. here. The Horizon League tournament, which is going to, and if you live in the Meridian Kessler or Northside area, you're going to start seeing a lot more promotion for it because what they want to do is get as many people that live in the area as possible to go over to watch the Horizon League, which is cool because the Horizon League, uh, you know, it's like the sunrise of the horizon. It's usually the first conference tournament to take place, it's the week before yep. the Big Ten tournament, et cetera. But the Horizon League tournament, Gosh, I, I went over championship week. I'm so excited. It's the best, right? In 2020, I went over for the Horizon League tournament and I watched games there. And literally, it was the last event to take place before the world shut down. That's right. So they finished, the Horizon League actually finished their tournament. Yep. And then the next day was the opening day of the Big Ten tournament when like Fred Hoiberg was sick on the sidelines and everybody, and then boom. I, I covered that, by the way. That was very weird across the board because you're around everybody still in media halls at GameBridge and you're like, what? what is happening? Like it's all unfolding right in front of your totally, eyes. Totally, totally. And you had, yeah, it, you're right. It was all, you know, all of a sudden it went from like these whispers of like, this isn't really a thing, right? To, and we're talking about, for those who are familiar, you know, this is when COVID all happened, right? Yeah. So the last game that I saw before COVID was that that Horizon League game, right? Uh, I saw the games there, and then suddenly, the you know everything changed. I think I saw the last game that Indiana State played at the Holman Center before, like you couldn't all of a sudden like you couldn't get a ticket when Byron and I went over. What was that a month ago? Yeah. We just drove over on like a Tuesday night to watch Evansville and Indiana State play and it was really fun and it's a great arena. I loved it. It was it was there's a parking garage right there. It was convenient, it was quick, it was easy. Hour and a half drive, something like that, hour and 40. 
and we went in, watched the game, and came home. And then, since then, you know, now all of a sudden, man, that's the place to be, right? The place is hopping. Tickets are sold out. It's great. Good for the trees. Good for Indiana State. As I mentioned in that top 25, Purdue is number two, and the guy that calls their games joins us in 15. 20. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 24th in the coaches poll for Indiana State. That also just released. You know, the other thing in looking at the top 25, and Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, is going to join us here top of the hour. We'll talk about Indiana and Purdue over the weekend and Purdue sitting at 22-2, and two, although I still think, even though UConn is number one, Purdue at this point, based on resume, would be poised for the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. But when you look at the top 10, I'm going to read for you folks one more time the top 10 and then the second 10 in college basketball's rankings. And I want you to tell me the team that is the outlier. The one that like the fewest number of people would be like, wait, really? The top 10, UConn, Purdue, Houston, Marquette, Arizona, Kansas, North Carolina, Tennessee, Duke, and Iowa State. Stop. Go ahead. Yeah. Which one? Iowa State. It has to be, right? How many people right now walking around that are fans of basketball and Tyrese Halliburton for that matter? (laughs) Like Tyrese Halliburton probably doesn't even realize that Iowa State's 18 and 5 and ranked number 10. Now, the second 10, South Carolina, Baylor, Auburn, Illinois, Alabama, Dayton, Creighton, St. Mary's, Brigham Young, and Wisconsin. I mean, right off the bat, we talked about it during the break, South Carolina out of the gate being that high. Unbelievable. You, I mean, I, I'm sure there are diehard college hoops fans like have followed it the whole season, so maybe that's not a surprise, but like if you're fo- focusing locally like we do and then trying to consume everything nationally while everything else is going on, Pacers, Colts, etc., that would catch you by surprise. Dayton being as good as they are, even though as Eddie pointed out, Shelvin Mack reminded us about Dayton last week, and then somebody has to be on top of the West Coast Conference, and it's not Gonzaga this year. It's been St. Mary's. Come on, man. You got to give some love to my man Randy Bennett and St. Barry's. Oh, yeah. Love Randy Bennett. St. Mary's, for those that are unfamiliar, and yesterday somebody said I talked about myself too much on the show, and I'm like, well, I I talked for three hours. The Gales is correct. Years ago, I, I say years ago, whenever the Final Four was in, I think it was in San Antonio, DeAndre Ayton was getting ready to become the number one player picked in the draft, so whatever year that would have been. Uh, I was doing the afternoon show with Derek Schultz on a different station, but we were doing Radio Row, and you know when you're doing Radio Row, they just bring coaches through, right? Hey, do you want to talk so-and-so? Do you want to talk so-and-so? And they're like, would you guys want to talk to uh, Randy Bennett, the head coach of St. Mary's? And it's like, well, they're not even in the tournament, and we're an Indianapolis-based radio show. And but St. Mary's was one of that year was a team that had gone like 30 and three and not gotten in the tournament. And Derek and I had been having debates about whether or not they should have, you know, whatever. So I see, yeah, we'll have him on for that discussion. So he says, Randy Bennett, where are you guys from? Like Indianapolis. He's like, oh man, my mom lives in Southport. Like, wait, what? (laughs) 
Randy Bennett, the head coach of St. Mary's, he's like, yeah, my dad was a high school coach at Anderson. And, you know, I, I lived in Indiana. My mom still lives in Southport. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Man. So I get talking to him and I go, hey, where is St. Mary's anyway? He says, Bay Area, California. And I go, well, we have an, a race every year in Sonoma. He goes, yeah, come by campus. So Nick Yeoman and I, he gives me his cell phone number. Nick Yeoman and I text him and said like, hey, we'd like to see the St. Mary's campus. And he's like, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll meet you over there in like 15 minutes. He drives over in his like little Mazda SUV. He's like, get in the car. I'll drive you around. The campus is literally the size of like the Kroger parking lot. <laughs> and he takes us over to the gift shop. He shows us around the arena, like could not have been cooler. And ever since then, man, all season long, I, like I'll text him like, hey, big one tonight, big one. And, and he'll text me about Indiana, Purdue, whatever. I mean, always good stuff. Gales were always one of my favorite mid-majors growing up because you'd always see them get a win or two in the tournament. I'll always totally. have a special place in my heart. And they always, and, yep. and you know, he, he obviously recruits Australia big and New Zealand, et cetera. Rob Blackman, by the way, voice of the Boilers next. So if we- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We were to cover all our bases in talking about college basketball locally. Obviously, Kevin Bowen, a fan of Notre Dame. You hear that mentioned every once in a while on the morning show. We talked to Don Fisher earlier about Indiana. And Indiana State now being ranked in the top 25 in two different polls. We referenced earlier in the program Butler and, of course, the magic of Hinkle and the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers joining us now, and he is the pride of Evansville. Rob Blackman from the University of Evansville, I mean, uh, joining us now. Rob, we'll begin with this. I asked Don Fisher the same. I will ask the same of you. And that is, did you have on your bingo card Zach Eady for three triple time? Did you know going into the game that that was going to be something that you would be saying on Saturday night? Did not. Did not see that one coming. Obviously, he's only attempted one three his entire career, and that was earlier in the season. So, uh, no, the odds said that he would not be shooting a three-pointer in that game. But, hey, what do you know? He uh, Not only did he shoot it, he, as Matt Painter said in the post-game interview, uh, he shot it so badly that it went in. So, good, good for him. <laughs> hey, I want to begin with this, Rob. Braden Smith, after the game, mentioned the fact that he was surprised that the lane was so open and that there was essentially no defense there, but you take what the defense gives you. Did Purdue do something schematically to open up lanes for their guards, or was that just simply Indiana breaking down in the way that they wanted to attack things? Yeah, I think it's probably more on Indiana only because Purdue has run that same play a thousand times, it feels like, this year. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it results in Braden. Well, a couple things happen. Uh, defensively, teams that have chosen to play drop coverage with their big and go underneath that screen there at the top of the key area, uh, Braden's been much more aggressive this year in, in shooting a three-point shot. Now, that's by design. Matt Painter, that was one of his uh, major sticking points or coaching points with Braden in the offseason is we really need you to be more aggressive shooting the three if they're going to play drop coverage. 
Uh, so we have seen that this year. Uh, we've seen teams that if they if they hedge it just enough that Braden can only get to about 15, 16 feet, he's been pretty good about rising up and making that, that jump shot from the elbow. And in the rarest of occasions, option number three is that lane just opens up and he finds his way all the way to the basket. Now, that has happened a few times here and there this year, uh, but the frequency in which it was happening, especially in the first half against Indiana, uh, yes, we had not seen anything like that. So I'm, I'm assuming that was a breakdown for Indiana defensively because it's nothing new for Purdue. They, like I said, they've been running that, that, uh, that same play all season long. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman is our guest. Rob, Boilermakers 22-2, 11-2 in the Big Ten, projected by many if they continue to take care of business to likely land the top overall seed in the NCAA tournament. When we turn the clocks back a year ago, the talk is always, oh, they were a year ahead. When you look at the preseason projections, nobody thought they were going to be the team that they were and then to be able to be a one seed and have the expectations where things were. We know how it ended, but then it's a redemption arc this entire offseason. Does it feel different this year? And if so, in what way does it feel different for you compared to years past? Well, probably two words, uh, and those words would be Lance Jones. <laughs> he is uh, what a find he was in the offseason portal. And this is not a knock on David Jenkins Jr., who was our, our fifth-year transfer last year, but he he just not did not bring to the table what Lance Jones does, especially in transition offense. Uh, I think I've talked to you guys about this before, but as of I think as of the last game, it must have been I think it was the Wisconsin game. Purdue already has more transition points this year, fast break points, than they had all of last season. Uh, and that's in 35 games last season. The reason for that is the Lance Jones effect. He just makes Purdue so much more athletic and able to get the ball out and really push tempo. Braden Smith has always been able to do that, but last year he didn't have anyone who could do it with him. So it's kind of hard to be a one-man pass break uh, and have any success. At least this year he has a running mate to get out and really push the ball in transition. Um, so I think that is the biggest difference. Look, is Purdue a better across the board because although these guys are one year older? Yes, obviously. And especially, you know, I think that's the easy answer, especially for, for Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer because they were true freshmen last year. And obviously it was all brand new to them, especially the grind of a of a, of a 31-game regular season in, in, in college basketball. So, uh, and the fact that, look, I would also say this. Uh, I know Zach Eady uh, was the player of the year last year, obviously, but last year was also his first year as a full-time starter and his first time ever playing more than 19 minutes a game. So it was also a little bit new to him, too. So you have your guys that are back from last year that are a year more seasoned. They do have that experience under their belt. So that helps, but uh, without question, the biggest the biggest addition is Lance Jones. He just just offensively, he makes Purdue so much more dynamic than they were a season ago. Purdue basketball voice Rob Blackman joins us. Rob, I asked Don Fisher this earlier. I want to get the Purdue perspective from this same question. While I thought going in, Purdue was going to win big. I felt like it was going to be a big win for the Boilers just on the way the season has gone for both these teams and Mackey being Mackey, but. Indiana's up for kind of the first six and a half minutes of this game. When did you feel it turned in Purdue's favor? Clearly it starts to happen on the six-minute scoring drought. Indiana goes on in the first half. But when did takeover mode arrive for the Boilermakers when you look at this game? As funny as it sounds, uh, when Purdue finally made a three-point shot. Uh, you know, Purdue started that game 0-7 shooting from three, which you just felt like, 
Well, I should say this, at least for me, because obviously I'm there for every single game. And so I know what Purdue can do from the three point line. I mean, they're the fourth, they went into the game the fourth best three point shooting team in the country, percentage wise. So when Purdue started 0 for 7, you just kind of felt like, okay, water is eventually going to find its level here. And when that happens, uh, there's probably a good chance that the route is going to be on because outside of the first three minutes of the game where Purdue was not very good defensively, not very good at all, I think Indiana scored eight points in the first three minutes. And, and all eight of those points, I believe, were at the rim where they got the ball into the paint. Outside of that, I mean, Purdue was really good defensively after that, that little three-minute start to the game. So I kind of felt like, look, if Purdue will just make a perimeter shot and just kind of, uh, again, allow water to start finding its level – they're probably gonna they're probably gonna win this game and win it easily just because I thought Purdue was doing a good job defensively. So that was it for me. You know, I think Purdue ended up shooting thirty eight percent, I think, from three for the game, and normally they're at forty percent. So they were right at their average basically. But yeah, that was I know that's that's a simple and kind of almost a silly answer, but you start over seven and you're like, Okay, this can't continue. Indiana's hanging around right now because Purdue can't make a three. As soon as Purdue makes a couple of threes uh, it's probably going to really turn heavily into the favor of Purdue, and, and that's what happened. Rob Blackman is our guest. He is the radio play-by-play voice of the Purdue men's basketball program. Rob, it sounds crazy to say this because Edie has put up such prolific numbers, right? But there have been games of late. The Wisconsin game comes to mind, and to an extent, part of the Indiana game, where he hasn't been necessarily like the vintage feed him every time because he can't be stopped level Zach Eady. You might disagree with that a little bit, but but in terms of what I'm about to say, maybe it'll make more sense. Is it good for Purdue heading down the home stretch that they have possessions where they have to be non-reliant on Zach Eady? Oh, I think that's absolutely dead on. Um, and I, I have the numbers in front of me, Jake, just because I'm kind of a stat nerd, so and I knew this interview was going to take place, but you look at that game against Wisconsin, you know, Zach only took 13 shots. He, he didn't see the ball a whole bunch. Uh, and it's not because he was getting fouled all the time either. I mean, he only had eight foul shots in that game, which for him is a low number. Um, he had 15 shots against Indiana. Now, 16 free throws against Indiana. My point being, uh, yes, uh, there were many a games last year where Zach was getting 23-24 the shots a game, uh, which if he was making said shots, you felt pretty good about yourself. If he was not, uh, and the rest of the team then wasn't contributing, you really felt like Purdue was in a big in, in, a, in trouble in a big way. So, yeah, I don't uh, I don't see anything wrong with uh, with other guys having to make plays. I mean, Braden Smith, uh, you know, you look at the numbers he put up against uh, against Wisconsin and now Indiana. I mean, he had back to back nineteen point games. Um, uh, and I think nine rebounds in one, six in another. So uh, if he can give you that type of offense, and then Lance was really good against Wisconsin, 20 points, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't great against Indiana. But, yes, uh, look, look, look we, what happened in the NCAA tournament in the first-round game? Uh, Purdue couldn't get, couldn't get Zach Eady going because they were running a quadruple team at him, and no one else was helping. So all of a sudden, you're in big trouble if you're Purdue. So, yes, I would say – uh, Any time that you can get offense from someone out and not name Zach Eady, it makes you feel a little bit better about your chances as you kind of progress through the season here. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, joins us. 
Rob, I was older than I'm proud of when I realized the narrative about Big Ten officials officiating games is actually wrong because they have different officials from different conferences uh, officiate games to rotational basis thing. But there's always the perception that the Big Ten is officiated differently, which I would argue there's some truth to that. It feels like the tournament is a much more faster paced animal at times. And the stats will show you that the Big Ten has struggled historically the last 20, 25 years with Michigan State being the lone national champion, this question might go a little bit deeper than Purdue. And I know this is a narrative question, but when you look around the Big Ten, you look at the Boilermakers, are you at all worried, not in the first round, but just that with how wide open some of this season feels, big picture, that stylistic contrast that occurs when you get to the tournament might rear its ugly head, might rear its ugly head yet again. Maybe not for Purdue, but for the Big Ten like it has in years past. Yeah, good question, and I think the answer, uh, well, I don't think, I know the answer is yes. There is always that concern, especially when you see officials that you never see. Um, And I'm talking about guys that are, you know, strictly West Coast guys or, you know, Pac-12 guys, or maybe they only work in the the Mountain West or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you see one of those guys in the NCAA tournament who hasn't officiated Big Ten basketball all season or maybe ever, uh, that is quite a that's quite a contrast in officiating as far as that style of play that the Big Ten has. Now, this this speaks specifically for Purdue. Yeah, are they equipped for that? Well, so yeah, I, w- I would say this year, yes, much better than last. And it goes back to what we just talked about earlier: the fact that Purdue can now find points in transition because of the Lance Jones effect. And Matt Painter's talked about this. Purdue got really stagnant, especially in February and March of last year because the only time Purdue could score was in half-court offense. Purdue was getting no easy buckets in transition. So you were constantly trying to score against a set defense. And that does, you know, that that can be a negative sometimes. It was certainly a negative against Fairleigh Dickinson. When you are constantly having to try to score every single one of your points against a set defense in the half-court. Again, Purdue, at least to this point in the season, I know we still have a ways to go here, but that doesn't seem to be a problem with this team. This team can find fast break points uh, uh, much better than they have had uh, been able to do in the past. So I do think that Purdue better equipped this year for, indeed, if that type of uh, scenario uh, rears its ugly head. Uh, but, I, yes, I do agree that, uh, it, look, that officiating, man, I'm, I'm telling you, and coaches talk about this all the time, you get in that NCAA tournament, a lot of things have to go your way, especially in, in games where the two teams are fairly equal. And one of the things you need to go your way is the officiating. Uh, whether that's a bad call that happens to go your way or, or, or however it might work. But it is, it is a concern, and it is something that needs to be talked about and uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the officials are doing a bad job either. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you get a couple, three officials working your game that haven't seen you all season and aren't familiar with your style of play, uh, it, it can work against you at times, absolutely. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers. When it comes to Braden Smith, which more impresses you and which has he shown more improvement and maturity? His ability to get into operating areas in the mid-range game and hit a jumper for them to to open things up a little bit or just his on-court moxie and floor general status of being able to know when to facilitate and know when to kind of back out a little bit? Yeah, the answer would be number two in that scenario. And I would add on to that, Jake, the fact that he's playing 36 minutes a game in Big Ten games. Uh, and he does not look to be wearing down either. 
I mean, what a luxury to have. Not only your point guard, who seems to, for the most part, be making all of the right decisions um, all the time, 95% of the time maybe, and then know that you never have to take him off the floor. <laughs> he, never, he never gets in foul trouble. Uh, he never seems to be winded. He never looks like he's getting worn down physically or mentally or emotionally. So you get to play in 36, 36 and a half minutes a game. I mean, what a luxury to have for Matt Painter. Uh, so yes, I would I would answer uh, if I had a, if it was A and B there I would take B and then I would add the fact that he's in such great shape physically that that's also been a huge reason why he's had such a great season so far. Rob, where does this group still need to learn about itself? I feel like a year ago we were always pointing to the guards needing to continue to grow game by game and whether or not that would cost them. And I, and I can't stress enough, guys like Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, you're exactly right. Lance Jones deserves his flowers, what he's done as a portal candidate to arrive here and give them whether they need a bucket big after a little lull or whether it's just a nice back-breaking basket, he's there defensively as well. But the growth of Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith year over year, a full testament to Matt Painter and his staff. We had P.J. Thompson on last week talking about it as director of player development, that it's been incredible to see their transformation this offseason. All that said, where do they still need to, to learn or figure things out about themselves? Or is this as good of a finished product as you could hope for with seven games to play? Well, certainly there are rooms for uh, room for improvement, uh, improvement, I beg your pardon, and I would start with the turnovers, and Matt Painter would tell you the same. You know, right now, Purdue's at just under 12 a game. That's not a terrible number. The problem is the two games that Purdue has lost, Nebraska and Northwestern, uh, and we can go back to Fairleigh Dickinson, quite frankly. Let's just talk about the last three games Purdue has lost. Um, the turnover number was up around 16, 17, 18. Uh, that is just too many lost possessions in a game, uh, especially when you consider Purdue is going to win the rebounding battle. I mean, you can – you could take that to Vegas. I mean, they've only lost the rebounding battle once all season. Uh, Purdue is plus, I think, 11 or something, plus 12 maybe in the rebound game. So you know you're getting 11 or 12 extra possessions a game rebounding. It, that's just how it is. But you can't then turn around and give those 11 and 12 back with 15, 16 turnovers. You're, just, you're killing yourself there. So that's where I would start with that. Uh, if there's been a common denominator uh, in the three losses, the last three, it has been that, the multiple turnovers. The three-point shooting, I think, last year was certainly a much bigger deal than it is this year. You know, last year, Purdue was a 32% three-point shooting team. If you just look at the month of February and March of last year, that number got dipped down into the high 20s. Purdue just was not a good three-point shooting team. They just weren't. Even though it's mostly the same guys back this year from last year, but now, Purdue's the, I think I mentioned sir, Purdue's the fourth-best three-point shooting team in the country, at least going into last weekend. So, I don't see that problem rearing its ugly head again. Knock on wood. I look. I could be wrong, but I don't. That was a major concern last year. Turnovers and three-point shooting. This year, I think it's been limited to the turnovers. If Purdue can just take care of the ball, they're going to score the ball at a high enough clip. They're going to rebound the ball at a high enough clip. They're going to defend well enough that I think they're going to have a chance to to win. You know, every game that they're in. Rob, every year, Rob Blackman is our guest in the NCAA tournament. A lot of times, if teams make a deep run, so we're going to play, we're going to play like the whatever, like a, the hypothetical game here. Okay, you ready? So we've right. got to we're going to we're going to put ourselves into like an imaginary world. Okay, 
So in our imaginary world that I'm coming up with, it's late March and Purdue is still alive in the tournament. And we're looking back at the four games that they've won to get them to the final four. And always this happens where teams make a run like that. There is some game where things are just out of sync and out of rhythm and an unexpected hero arises. It happened with Indiana the other night with Anthony Leal, and we had him on the show because the unsung hero that his number was finally called and he delivered. If that's the situation with Purdue, if we're talking to you just before the Final Four and we say, I'll tell you what, that regional semifinal game, boy, they look dead to rights, and then all of a sudden a guy who hadn't had his number called a lot rose to the occasion and made big plays for Purdue. The guy that has that capability within him, but it hasn't been shown just yet, is who? Trey Kaufman-Wren. And here's why I say that. He has had his moments this year when he, as crazy as this sounds, has been the best player on the floor. Now, it hasn't happened a lot, but it has happened. I think back to that home game against Illinois where he had, I think it was 23 points and five, maybe four or five rebounds in that game. Uh, he sh- and that's against a high-level opponent now. I, I mean, that's Illinois. That, that's, this isn't some mid-major that comes in for a guarantee game. This was against a high-major conference opponent who has you scouted pretty well. He would be that X-factor guy. I, 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 look, we're, we're 20, gosh, 24 games into the season. You pretty much know at this point what you're getting from Zach and Braden and Fletcher and Lance. The one guy that's been inconsistent – but when he's been playing at his highest level, that really, really makes Purdue, in my opinion, unbeatable, is Trey Kaufman-Wren. If he, if he has the game type of game, but in the scenario you're talking about, like he had against Illinois, or he had last year, uh, the one game that Zach Eady did not play, he, he got to be the starting five and had, I think, 23 or 25 points against New Orleans. If he has that type of a game – then I'm not. I'm not quite sure anyone can beat Purdue. Not not if he's if he gets going at that level, at that magical level. So I, I would go with Trey Kaufman Wren. And along those same lines, a guy that last year was obviously an integral part of Purdue, and this year is more complimentary, but has that capability also would be Caleb First. Rob, can you can you speak to? And I'm going to say professionalism. For, although I guess maybe it is that now for lack of a better phrase, but just the maturity for a Caleb first to be willing to adapt to or accept a role that differs than what it was a year ago. Yeah, um, I, I would I would use all those words that you used to, to, to describe him. And I would also say just, I would also add this, he also is an, a very smart kid and he is intelligent enough to know that he is the backup five. And I don't know if there's a worse position in all of college basketball to be the backup five than to be the backup to Zach Eady, <laughs> because you're not getting in the game very much because obviously you're not taking that guy out of the game very much. So he understands that is his role. Um, I have not spoken to him about this, so I'm not going to try to pretend to speak for him on this issue, but I can only assume there probably is a little bit of frustration because yes, he was, look, he's a starter. I mean, I know he's, he's started games for Purdue, started a lot of games last year. And was a big scorer for them at times, right? Yes, and but what has happened, uh, you know, the, in the offseason, the coaching staff decided Purdue's a better team if they move Trey Kaufman-Wren to the four and play alongside Zach at the five. That had been flip-flop last year. Trey was the backup five, and Caleb got to be the four. Well, Purdue's 
obviously, and it's worked. I mean, you, I mean, you can't argue with 22 and two. The problem is the odd man out is Caleb first, because again, you're the backup to, to the Zach Eady. So all the things you said, and then just the fact that he, look, he's a smart dude. He gets it. He understands if you're the backup to Zach Eady, you're probably not playing very much. So uh, it is what it is, uh, but I'm sure he's still having the time of his life. Hell, you're on a team ranked second in the country. So uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point by you, Jake. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, is our guest. Rob, I realize that we're picking at straws here, nitpicking, and that's basically all you can do with a team that's as talented as Purdue. But I feel like they have proven at this point in the season, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they are capable of surviving bad Zach Eady games, if there is such a thing, because bad games for Zach Eady is still getting 16 and 12, and, you know, it's just he's a human Mm -hmm. wrecking ball. If a bad Zach Eady game does happen, are they more susceptible to turning the basketball over like you've mentioned because they're still trying to force-feed him or falling in love with the three-point ball and maybe having an off night there? I would probably say even a third option, and that is uh, force-feeding the ball where it's not getting turned over, but Zach isn't making shots, so it's it's working like a turnover because the other team's getting the defensive rebounds right and, and breaking out, busting out, going the other end. Look, a lot of teams like to try to get in transition as much as they can against Purdue because that means big old Zach Eadie's probably not anchored under the basket at the other end. That's why so many teams, if you watch teams closely, even if they're not fast-break teams by nature, they really try to push the tempo against Purdue only because they don't want big Zach standing down there under the bucket. Uh, so that is where Purdue certainly could be susceptible. Again, it wouldn't go in the score sheet or the stat sheet as a turnover, but it really would feel like one if Zach was having one of those games where he just can't, you know, throw it in the ocean, which again is very, very rare. And the other team's taking a ball off the backboard, getting out in transition, able to get easy baskets because Zach's still, you know, still at half court trying to run back to play defense. I would say that was where Purdue would be the most susceptible. Rob, lastly, trivia question for you. I'm ready. I think you're going to know the answer. Uh-oh. Zach Eady has a chance to become the first and only the second ever repeat winner of the Wooden Award since what other person has accomplished that feat? Well, I, I think, Jake, you'll, you can double-check me here, but I think that's actually not an easy answer because I think if you're, if you're going unanimous, unanimous, the last time it happened, I think the only time it's happened was Bill Walton. Well, just repeat winner, just somebody to win two years in a row. Uh, okay, so if we're going just – so you didn't have to be the unanimous – So, so Walton, this is the Wooden Award, which is which started in 77. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So oh, Zach Eady is the current Wooden Award winner, and sure, he, sure. he has a chance to become only the second person to repeat, who is the only person to repeat as the Wooden Award winner. The only reason I mention it, Rob, is because this guy's going to be on our show on Wednesday because he was the most valuable player of the only All-Star game to be played in Indianapolis as a Houston Rocket in 1985. Ralph Sampson. That is correct, my man. Ralph Sampson. <laughs> I was I was teetering until you said Houston Rocket. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I know the answer. Yes. And, and by the way, also punched a former Purdue player, Jerry Seesting, in the uh, – 86 <laughs> yeah. NBA Finals, but we won't go there, right? Uh, familiar with that uh, highlight. I have seen that one on YouTube uh, here and again. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Thus, Jim Peterson started an NBA Finals game and is still in a bar in Galveston telling somebody about it. Um, 
<laughs> Rob, appreciate the time as always, man. Okay, see you again. Rob Blackman, the radio voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah, Jim Peterson right now is like, I'm telling you, I started in the NBA Finals. <laughs> sure he did, pal. I shouldn't say that. I have no idea if he drinks. I, you know, I'm just saying it's a great trivia question. He could be at a cafeteria somewhere. <laughs> That's right. He's. I. I do get two servings of Jello. <laughs> we'll be back. You know, it's our. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Job to be objective and not show homerism, and certainly I'm not trying to steal JMV's thunder because this is his school, not mine. But look, man, first time in nearly 45 years, a month shy of it, that Indiana State sees their name amongst the top 25 programs in college basketball. So, you know what? You trees out there, man, have your day. Turn that up a little bit more, Eddie. If you're in the car right now and you went to Indiana State, I have no idea what it's like outside right now, but if it's not raining, roll the windows down and blare this. Love Love a good acapella from the band. I mean, no, it's not fully because you got the trombone, but I love it. Shout out, baby. That's right. I'm not even sure the words to the Indiana State fight song, but this is, I like this right here. I'm tapping the toe a little bit, right? Yep. Hell yeah, let's go. This is what Jimmy Cook looked like last <laughs> night, walking around his house with like oh, nine you different do-rags on. There were a ton of Snapchat stories, it's true. There There's was one that's not, not a on Twitter. It was not a do right. Was that was a head factor? Band. No, no, I was fine. Mm-hmm. Him and the family were like tap dancing in one of them. There was, it was it was chaos. It was chaos in the cookhouse. I was I was probably the most sober of the bunch. Really? Maybe second most. My nephew Al was probably up there too. How old's your nephew? Thirty five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't get into the family dynamics with the. You cook. don't want you don't want to open it's, that tree. It's very confusing. Yep. If you just joined us, uh, and I will recap it in short here. Yeah, where have you been? Thank you, Eddie. Um, Jimmy, and Jimmy, I'm gonna I'm gonna spell this out, and you correct me where I'm wrong. All right, okay, go ahead. Jimmy Cook is the pride of Ron Colley High School. Go Royals, and also Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. He does play by play for Ron Colley Athletics. Now, were you there when they were the Rebels? I was. Okay. Uh, Jimmy has older brothers because of the fact, and you had mentioned on the air earlier, half brothers because uh, your father remarried. His first wife had passed, and he his, he was a widower, yep, right? Yep. He remarried and married your mother. Yep. And then when you were in middle school, your mother passed. Your father was older, and so therefore, your two brothers from your father's first marriage were very integral and important in your upbringing. Yes. And influential on many things about you, including your sports fandom, which was rooted organically for your oldest brother based on the fact that, like, for most kids, you know, the Colts were not here when your brother was a a youngster, and so your dad had a program from a football game that included the Kansas City Chiefs. He liked the color logo. He liked the, the logo, and he said, that's my team, and he started following them, and that then 
naturally and organically created a fandom in you because the Chiefs have become an epicenter event for a family bonding experience for you each and every once per week, 16 times per year, now 17 for the better part of your life. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's an accurate description. Um, A lot of people don't get that unless you're diehard sports fans. And some people are, you don't have to have the family ties, but I'm sure there's plenty of Colts fans, Pacers fans, IU fans, Purdue fans across the board in the state that have similar stories. You're often fans of a team because your parent or guardian was a fan of a team. If you're impressionable at that age and sports are a part of your life. But yes, to the point that when I was down in Bloomington, I was fortunate enough to have a car freshman year. I drive back home every Sunday and watch games with my brother and my brothers, Bob and Rich and my dad. Isn't that a country band? Bob Bob and Rich? Rich? Could be. Uh, But Brother Bob is the one that started off all the Chiefs fandom. And look, I'm I'm not going to keep this short and sweet as I can, but I told him this. Like, I, I love my entire family, but my sister Kathy was very important in my upbringing as well. But focusing solely on the Chiefs ties. I told him last night, I said, I love you. And I'll tell you the same thing I told you last year when they beat Philadelphia. Thank you for making us Chiefs fans. Because it could have been any team. And I'll go on record with it. it. Kevin said it in that promo if you heard it. Maybe it's reactionary. It's fine. I have my truth with it. People publicly will never say he's better than Brady. And I get it. I'm 29 years old. So what is what does the voice matter when you have somebody like Chap that's seen it for 60 years? He's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen in the position. I think he's the greatest quarterback to ever do it. And if you want to have a conversation, say he's not, that's fine. There's one, maybe two names you can put in front of him if he retired tomorrow. And again, you get lucky. They had not taken a first round quarterback for 30 years since Todd Blackledge. So the stars to line up, like it could have been any team, Cubs fans, doesn't matter. Like the fact that it's the Chiefs and it matters so much to my family and for them to get lucky for Andy Reid to resurrect that organization and for them to hit the jackpot with Patrick Mahomes and trade up for him. It means just as much to us as any Colts family, anybody, because that's how I was brought up for them to win. I said it on Twitter last night for them to win three and five years and be a dynasty when they were a number one picking team 12 years ago. Even further back than that, if you would have told 10-year-old me this was possible, I would have told you you're out of your mind. It's because of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. How bad, and I I realize I'm stating the obvious here, how painful is that Super Bowl to watch if you're a fan of the Chicago Bears? Terrible. (laughs) There are some Bears fans that I follow or writers that always tweet that whenever the Chiefs are. I mean, and for those that are like, what are you talking about? I mean, to know that they traded up, and sent multiple picks to get to the number two spot to take Mitchell Trubisky ahead of Mahomes. Did Watson go ahead of him as well? No. Watson was after. So was Mahomes the second quarterback taken? Correct. Which I've I've public like I wasn't I was not upset they took Mahomes. I was thrilled they took a quarterback, but I thought they were trading up for Watson. I had no idea they were trading up to get Pat. And then right. uh Watson went Watson was third off. Pat Eddie. Not Patrick. I'm Pat. sorry, I've slipped into fanhood there. I apologize. Pat. You know what? No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not apologizing today. Was, I'm not doing it. You know what? He was texting PM earlier. <laughs> not not Peyton Manning, Pat. No, I thought it was Patty. Pat, what up? I, uh, I thought it was his um, Mahomie. I don't Pat, know. Pat, I know your real brother's a pain in the ass, so any way <laughs> I could slide into that, right? It's take over that role? Big facts on that last statement. He is. He is, totally. Uh, but anyway, so last night, uh, observations from the game. Number one, 
Patrick Mahomes was Patrick Mahomes, and it kept San Francisco at bay. And later in the game, Patrick Mahomes in his presence, just his presence, not even the plays that he made. He makes plays for sure. But Patrick Mahomes in his presence absolutely psychologically took San Francisco out of that game. He, at one point, came up to the line, looked over, saw a blitz coming, dropped back, made an audible first down. That's what he does. There were several plays where, you know, you can he drops back, he sees a lane, he takes off running. San Francisco didn't anticipate it because you're so worried about him throwing the ball and finding Kelsey or finding any of the receivers, you know, Jennings, whoever it might be. And in addition to that, or is it Jennings or Jenkins? I always get it screwed up. You're talking about Rice or Hardman. What's that? Are you talking about the Niners? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, San Francisco obviously was thrown to, to Jennings. Um, you know, Rice, they were using almost more like in, in the short yardage yeah. game, right? Yeah. Pacheco, it goes without saying, when they hand off to him, the way he runs. Mark was about and, scaling, maybe, plays. looking for. He was big, too. But, but my point being, with Mahomes, San Francisco defensively was, was dropping back. They, they were so worried about it because in the – for the first three quarters of that game, they literally, San Francisco, especially at the line, was able to corral Mahomes and keep him in check. Kelsey wasn't really going. He was having happy feet. They were blowing everything up on totally. screens. They got behind the sticks way too often on first down. And they were, I mean, and so you're watching it, and then you're looking up and you're going, and San Francisco knew this. San Francisco knew in the back of their mind they were like, you know what? We are stopping and limiting this guy, and yet we are still keeping him within one score. And they couldn't take advantage of it. And Brock Purdy was fine. I mean, you know, you know, nothing again. I mean, obviously, I, Shanahan I, went into the playbook yeah. and was able to come up with plays for them, and I thought Purdy looked very comfortable. I didn't think that moment was too big for Brock Purdy. I would agree with that. And that was a big narrative going but in. But they couldn't take advantage of of situations that were presented for them. Obviously, the fumble on the first drive was big because you want points there. The missed extra point was big. But what happened, as I mentioned earlier, was Usher at halftime was on roller skates, and then in the (laughs) second half, the San Francisco defense was. Not because Kansas City yet had started to knife at them, but because you knew it was coming. And when that muffed punt happened and Kansas City took it over, and the analogy I used earlier, it was like Frank the Tank in old school. You knew that it was a matter of time. And in old school, Frank the Tank was doing all the right things. He was obeying orders. He was doing what his wife wanted him to do. He was planning for a big day at Home Depot and Bed Bath and & Beyond. And then he took that bong, and then when it hit his lips, it's so good. When it hits your <laughs> lips, it's so good. And boom, the next thing you know, he's streaking. And for last night, the Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco had them at bay. They had the... The defense was such that Patrick Mahomes was planning on a Monday, not at Disney World, but at Bed Bath & Beyond. And then they muffed the punt. He quickly scored, and that it hit his lips. And you knew then it was over. And late in the game, Kansas City, when they came down to it in the regulation, they could play a little bit more relaxed because you knew – if it went into overtime, it was over. Yep. You knew it was over. San Francisco knew it was over. Once they stopped them in regulation and forced three, that's when I that's when I knew they were going to win. Uh, that final drive in overtime, 8 for 8, 42 yards, a touchdown, two carries for 27 yards, provides 69 of Kansas City's 75 yards. Again, it's an unpopular opinion, but it's my opinion on it. 
He's my greatest quarterback of all time. And even if you disagree with that statement, at 28 years old, you look at every other metric, he's second best, and that's a testament to how great he is. I mean, he's on the path for sure. Sure. Um, And the thing that he is able to do now, which is impressive, is he is himself the straw mixing the drink, which makes it easier to have lesser ingredients. But it's going to be more challenging now with cap and everything else. But no question. Before the, by the first team to win, by the way, with the quarterback taking the most cap on the team ever. Patrick Mahomes at the age of 28 has won more Super Bowls than Peyton Manning in their careers. And he has done so by the age younger than Peyton Manning was when he made his very first Super Bowl. And that falls into the same category of Roger Staubach is in this, you know, other Jim Kelly who, who didn't, who went to that many, but didn't win any. I mean, it is remarkable what he has done at this age. JMV's in the building. I don't know if he's wearing blue to celebrate his sycamores, but we'll hand it off to him next and we'll get Jimmy's uh, probably clouded from many high noons plays of the day. <laughs> The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, a mix of the college basketball games as well as the NBA. First, with college basketball, we'll take Texas on the money line against Kansas in Pacers Hornets. The usual, over 31 and a half. Where are total, Texas and Kansas playing? Uh, at Texas Tech. So I'll take is it Texas, Texas Tech. or Texas Tech? Did I say Texas? I'm yeah. sorry. My fault. I got excited. Uh, Kansas at Texas Tech. Give me Texas Tech on the money line. Over 31 and a half points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton tonight as the Pacers are in Charlotte against the Hornets in that same game. Over one and a half blocks for Miles Turner. Jake, we started the NFL season with me putting on, for not a lack of pride, a Detroit Lions hat. I realize JMV is going to give me the business either way, but... I end the football season the same way we started it with a ball cap, but this one of the Super Bowl champion variety. Uh, did you? Is that from last night? I wish. No, it's from uh, last year. It's got to be nice when you can't remember which year it's from, right? You, uh, you guys struggle with getting around this sports arousal in the studio for three hours. <laughs> Jake kept me. Did in you check. trip over it? He kept me in check. I did. Now, John, are you feeling the same way though about your trees? Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 23 and 24 in the polls, right? Since 1979. Nine years old right here, baby. How bad? I asked Jake this. How bad of an ignorance is that? Had you asked me when was the last time they were ranked, I would have said bird, but that still surprises me that it's been that long. Well, I wouldn't be ignorant because they haven't been good that often. So, yeah. A couple of years with Lansing, one year with Royce Waltman, they beat Kelvin Sampson um, in. Uh, yeah, Michael Mincer, right? Huh? Well, Michael yeah, Mincer. Yeah, Michael Mincer and Matt Wren. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Good squad right there. Now the question is, and I don't know, John, I haven't looked yep. at their schedule. Does Indiana State, from a scheduling standpoint, they they have what remaining here they in have, terms uh, of... Illinois State, midweek, they should beat the hell out of them. They have The, the tough one's going to be Saturday night. Southern Illinois, on the road in Carbondale. That, that's the toughest remaining by far. And I'm thinking maybe I've always gone by if you don't win the tournament, then you're not going to get in just because you'll get surprises. If, right? they, if they run it out from here and they win the Moval and the tournament. Well, that's what all these nerds tell me, but I don't know if get, I believe in the nerds. Can they get into the 9 8 game in the tournament? Well, maybe. I'm with I, you, though. Do yourself a favor I, to win the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying not to look. There are, there are moments like at Missouri State on Saturday afternoon where you're thinking, whoa, what happens if a better team 
they're up against and they go through a a struggle for a long period of time and and listen like any other team they live by the three and oftentimes die by it and in those circumstances where they can shoot we shall see what happens but hey listen it's been a a breakthrough year for josh and his team and a lot of good players and you got to take advantage of it now when you're in it because i'm sure that other teams will be raiding their roster coming up here in the transfer portal season Uh, what do you have lined up for your big program Chad today. Buchanan is going to join us. Cool. Chad Buchanan from Charlotte. We'll talk about a lot of things regarding the trade, whether that was a letdown against Golden State. Uh, obviously a bounce back on Saturday. And the thing that I want to know more than anything is how much of it did Buddy Heald want? How much of it was kind of them put in a situation where they needed to make a deal because Buddy wasn't happy? We'll talk about that. And then the trade buyout season is upon us as well. They have an extra roster spot, how much interest they might have. So who have they done the uh, the buyout? or the uh, they West Matthews Jr. was one. And then Trevor Booker, I think, was another. Yeah, have the, they done that twice here in The like recent mid-level history? exception deal or whatever. No, it's uh, the buyout. Somebody yeah, yeah. gets bought right. out and you can pick him up. Like Marcus Morris is floating around out there right yeah, now, so yeah. that would be the type of guy. Uh, yeah, because they released him, right? Exactly. Well, they wouldn't want him, I wouldn't think, but they did release right, him. Right, that yeah, kind of sure. player, yeah. yeah. All right, John's up next. We'll be back with you noon tomorrow. George Hill joins us on the program tomorrow. You have been listening to Quarian Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.